Hello, this is Dr. Paul Cottrell, and I'm going to be giving an update about COVID-19. <clears throat> this is Sunday. So the U.S. Army posted uh, that the 8th, uh, I think it's division, or eighth, the 8th Army in South Korea, there's 28,000 troops. They stopped uh, travel between Korea and the United States. So to or from Korea, uh, for, and, they're, and they're, they're stopping all travel for family and service members, especially for special training. Sometimes they do special training. You, they may fly to the United States for special training and then fly back or vice versa. That, that's also stopped. There seems to be three soldiers one uh, Navy um, soldier, one Marine, and it seems to be maybe one Army. That The, the Army um, soldier, I don't think, has been confirmed if it is Army or not. It seems to be in Korea, and so those are three confirmed COVID-19 cases. The only thing that's not confirmed is if it's Army, which, which branch of government, or which branch of the, of the armed forces. In Pennsylvania, I received a voicemail, and I'll be as cryptic as I can, but uh, it was on Friday. This individual works for the government, and uh, they, um, they were given an email, and this, this person's a little bit on the lower, lower end of the government uh, hierarchy that the email stated that they were assessing business needs related to continuity of government in Pennsylvania. And that uh, in, the, in the voicemail, the person um, stated that Pennsylvania started testing on March 4th. They found two confirmed cases of COVID-19 on March 5th and mentioned about the APEC or APEC um, meeting where they shouldn't have had there was someone that was infected they, sh they should have canceled that meeting there should have been that APEC should have never happened it was stupid to have and there are probably many people now that that contracted it and we're gonna see two weeks maybe four weeks from now many more people probably getting COVID-19 due to that, that meeting. Um, next item is that Italy has now, it, it, Italy now has 366 cases that have uh, passed away. It jumped 133 in one day. I received an email of individuals uh, going to their doctor that are sick, they're not being tested for flu, they're not being tested for COVID-19, and they're given um, benzoate, uh, viscous uh, lidocaine, and uh, flonase for their symptoms. So that's another way that doctors are treating some of these patients. Sounds like this patient's probably uh, a more mild case. 
Next, there was an announcement from NYU Lagone Hospital or Medical Center that if you are uh, sick, if you, if you think you have a cold or the flu, that you should not go to the, me- go to the, the medical center. You should be phoning in to your doctor or uh, doing this um, a virtual urgent care through the internet. So that seems to be, you know, a problem. We we talked about this that we're going to be leveraging telecommunications more and more, especially in the uh, educational realm in, in your work environment. And now it, you know, it's starting to to happen in healthcare. So that's the update of what's going on. There's many more cases. We have in the United States now 472 confirmed cases on the Johns Hopkins database. Um, And we have, I think, 11 deaths so far. No, 19 deaths. Um, 15 in Kings County, one which is Washington, one in Lee County, Florida, one in uh, Placer County, California, one in Santa Rose County in Florida, and Sunhamish uh, County in Washington, and then eight recovered. So death toll is increasing. So that gets us to about, and again, this, you know, the data set isn't that great, so you can't really determine what the true death rate is, but you know we're getting at about four percent with that particular uh, data it's actually higher because those ones that died relate to a lower uh, confirmed case number because it takes time to die right I don't think any of these were sudden deaths they might have been some of them may have been but I, I, I doubt most of them were so there's that issue so I've been predicting about three to five percent death rates in the United States because of the demographics of, of, of the um, health situation of Americans. So it's important to prepare. We're getting more news announcements of, of lockdown, so you have to get that at least four weeks, if possible, eight weeks worth of food. Uh, get some cash out. If you have the means, you know, take, you know, a thousand or two thousand out. I'd get out of the stock market. I think it's going to go down. You're going to get hurt. Um, um, you know, get those homeopathic things that I've been telling you about: the Forskolowin, the Relora, the Birch Bark, um, Licorice Root, the Calendula, um, uh, Thieves Oil. Uh, there's other antiviral, antimicrobial stuff. Onions. Get onions, yellow onions, and get uh, garlic. That will help if you eat them raw and put them in like teas and boil them. Um, <clears throat> the nano silvers on the store. I I, I started a little little um, store on my website where you can go and buy nano silver products. I have uh, toothpaste. I have two different uh, liquid liquid uh, products 
where you can put them in nebulizers or you can uh, just swallow them. One's a 30 ppm parts per million and one is a 10 um, parts per million at different price points. And um, a gel where you can put that on your hands, uh, you can put them around your mouth, uh, around your nose, that'll help protect you for about five to six hours. You can also ingest it. You can take that gel and just put it in and swallow it. Um, and there is uh, a wound gel that you can you can use that you know will help heal quicker. I'm going to also put a nebulizer. It's not on the store yet. I'm only going to carry a, a, a few of these because I don't think they'll sell many. But I'm going to have um, I'm going to have some. Uh, nebulizers in stock that people can buy if they've never used that never had a neb you know don't have a nebulizer at home where you can put that liquid product in and then it'll mist it and then you would be able to breathe in the mist and it'll help um, if you have some sort of uh, infection in your lungs it'll help you know get it deeper in into the air sacs you know it'll, it'll mist it and then you can breathe it in um, so that that will be available on the store and we'll just keep on you know processing the best we can as much product as possible I'm all, all sales are rolled in to get more product I don't take any profit so there's all sales are going in to build the inventory um, to make sure that we can sell to as many people that need the product as possible and you'll notice that my product um, for the suggested re retail price that's you know that for that for that uh, quality of a product um, I do not overcharge you you know like you've heard this uh, uh, James Baker uh, guy you know he's like charging for something very similar to what I'm selling 300 bot three hundred dollars a bottle and I'm only charging 57 you know plus shipping and handling he's charging like 300 I mean he's obviously gouging so I'm not gouging um, but we're trying to you know build up more more inventory to be able to ship out and it's it's you know we're in the middle of a crisis so you got to be yeah I realize that you know we are not in Kansas anymore and things are different so uh, please be prepared get the food that you need get some of that homeopathic stuff at your uh, new you know your uh, natural food store or, or nutraceutical um, place you can get them on Amazon you know the, that forscolone the relora the calendula that stuff um, and you know make sure you have enough vitamins enough medicines if you're taking medicines talk to your doctor of getting a month supply just in case you're locked down and uh, please go to the store and, and purchase the, the nano silver products um, because they're antiviral, antimicrobial, um, antibacterial, you know. So, but that will, that will help to boost up your immune system the best that you can to fight uh, this, this disease. These aren't cure-alls. Going to the doctor is important, but as you can see, what I just reported, <laughs> the doctors are getting to the point where they may not be able to see you and or want to see you because of the, the spread of, of, of this 
this virus. So uh, we might have to lean on homeopathic remedies to the best that we can. And also try to do more soups. You know, uh, th that, that will help to, uh, liqu uh, you know, that heat will, will uh, help soothe some of that soreness in, in the throat, the back of the, back of the throat, down, down your throat. Um, that will kind of like help soothe so some you know some some soups that will you know make some homemade soups I, I think it would be really good for you to help try to boost the whole idea is try to boost your immune system as much as you can because it's not a cure-all it's the best that we can do okay but we're we have to band together and 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 try to try to MacGyver this as best as we can okay so thank you for listening and have a nice day. Hello everybody, this is Greg Allison with Green Greg's Garden and Worm Farm. Coming to you again with Dr. Paul Cottrell. And we're going to be talking about, of course, the COVID-19 uh, virus or whatever you want to call it. We have a lot of ground to cover today. I'd like to start out with a little background about Paul. A lot of you uh, seem to have some questions or misunderstandings. I want to talk about this disease and its rate of expansion in uh, the West now and, and uh, maybe the validity of what it is or isn't doing in China. What is it going to do to the United States? When can we expect lockdowns and quarantines here? We'll talk about things to boost, boost your immunity, ways to prevent this. Um, and then we need to talk a little bit about what can we do as a group, as a people, how can we organize means to ensure we have transparency into the things that's been de to developed to treat and immunize us uh, from COVID-19? Because I know a lot of you would be highly suspicious, even with transparency, a lot of us probably will not be taking uh, certain uh, measures, vaccines, and uh, some would, but what are the cases? We need transparency as to what they're developing, and I can't see what the problem should be with that. Although uh, a lot of these companies who are exempted from lawsuits might beg to differ with me on that. So, <laughs> and therein lies, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, the reason that we ought to push for transparency. But that'll be our wrap-up topic, unless uh, something else comes up in the course of this conversation. Do expect this will be a free-willing conversation because Paul and I both are multidisciplinary individuals with a vast wide background. And uh, we both have an interest in this and our primary interest is in stopping it, if we can, contain it as much as possible and helping you have the means and knowledge to prepare yourself so that you're prepared. So don't be afraid, don't be scared, be prepared. I do not preach and, and teach people to go into panic because panic mode does nothing for you. This is not fear porn. This is telling you what you need to know to get ready because the story of what this thing can do. If you understand math, if you understand what geometric progression is and you understand the effectivity of this disease, which is exhibited by what we call the R naught rate, then you will understand that it can propagate wildly, very fast, almost explosively. That's what geometric progression does. And anyone who's got an engineering technical background should understand geometric, geometric progression. Uh, it's not our everyday walking around way of thinking about things. And even engineers, technical people sometimes have a hard time wrapping their mind around what it truly means because it's not everyday 
way that we think about things. People think linearly. So put on your seatbelts, ladies and gentlemen. You're in for a very interesting discussion here. And so, Paul, tell, start out and tell us a little bit about yourself. I get people, uh, let me say something. I get people sometimes commenting to me and said, well, he's not a doctor. I go, yeah, he is. He has a PhD. And I say, well, he's not a medical doctor. And I, I said, well, he told us that from the get-go. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that if you get a PhD, the one thing you become is disciplined in, in detailed research, the research methodology that you have to develop to have a PhD is a highly disciplined uh, skill set that you have to hone to high degree if you want that PhD. <laughs> so, Paul, tell us about yourself. Okay. Well, thank you for having me. Um, Again, <laughs> I've said this multiple times on multiple channels, even mine, but I uh, was born and raised in Michigan. Um, I received my undergrad degree uh, from Wayne State, uh, worked in automotive engineering, uh, traveled the world, lived in Japan, lived in Germany in advanced development and front end, you know, front end modulization, which is a big word for, for uh, body structure. Um, and uh, uh, lived in South Korea for a little while. Um, I also received a, a, uh, a, a master's, uh, an MBA in finance. Shortly after that, that was when, that was right before Lehman, I moved to New York, worked in proprietary training and, and uh, corporate finance, uh, learned portfolio management, so I was an institutional investor, uh, managed a large portfolio for a very large nonprofit in New York City, like one of the largest. And um, uh, during that time, I was interested in modeling markets. So I decided to get a PhD in finance, um, focused on the energy markets, um, specifically oil, and the currency markets specifically the uh, Euro USD trade, focused on the futures and how to dynamically hedge that using the exogenous and endogenous risk factors, meaning the, uh, inge uh, the endogenous risk factors within the particular uh, asset that you're trading and the exogenous risk factors uh, related to the LIBOR rate, uh, the interbank lending that was taking place. My data set was pre-Lehman, during Lehman and post Lehman, a 10 year data set that, that I looked at and how to dynamically hedge this. So it's something called stochastic programming, a horizontal control in stochastic programming. So this um, is used in uh, uh, drone technologies. This is also used in uh, tracking rockets, you know, to reach their target, uh, you know, missile technology. So, you know, so you can take disciplines from many different fields and apply it to other fields is the main point that I'm making here. You could take missile technology and apply it to finance. All right. Amen. Using algorithms. Systems right. behave so, in, in certain manners and, and you can describe things. I can describe the flow of water, money, and many things with electrical uh, equations. Exactly. But so you during this- You have capacitance. And once you learn to have a model things, Where's the what is capacitance in the system? What, what is the resistance? What are the flows? The, the, what are, are the driving forces, which would be voltage? You can actually use electrical equations to model just about anything. It's funny. 
Exactly. So after I finished the, my, my uh, dissertation, I, I published my pre-dissertation uh, work and uh, did some postdoctoral work in artificial intelligence and topographical finance. The artificial intelligence was focused on what is called cortical and subcortical computing, where you take the limbic system and how the limbic system works in, in, in your brain, all right, and, how, and, and behavior, and have uh, unassisted learning algorithms created from that uh, methodology to train uh, an AI to trade financial markets. My particular research was focused in unassisted learning using cortical and subcortical computing uh, trading oil markets, all right? The topographical finance is uh, looking at the market in three dimensions where you are graphing volatility, uh, you have a time series, and you are um, doing a regression of drift. And through that, you can use CDF and PDF uh, uh, functions to determine the probability of the next time point using this harmonic surface fitting of, the, of, of, the, of your data points. So the volatility is heterocytasket. So what that basically means is, is that it, it, it spikes and then comes down, all right? So through this methodology, you can do this uh, surface fitting of data points and use your um, um, probability functions to determine the next time, time series, whatever your time series is. You usually it was a day, day, a day uh, you know, a day uh, projection. Mm -hmm. So that was my postdoctoral work. Um, and then I decided to pursue medicine because during my dissertation phase, my, 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 uh, or, or just before my dissertation phase, my brother passed away from heart disease. So after I caught my breath, you know, after doing the postdoctoral stuff, I decided to uh, pursue medicine. So you have to do a pre-med program. So I applied to um, Fordham University, which is in New York. It's the, it's the second best pre-med program uh, just under Columbia University. And I, I applied there and I call it the little Harvard because they have uh, they, the, the, the campus and their, their style of learning is very similar to Harvard. At the same time, I was traveling back and forth between New York and Boston to pursue a master's in biology at Harvard University. So because people need to understand that medicine has two different types of components. There's clinical medicine and there's research medicine. Uh -huh. So the pre-med is preparing me to be a medical, to get into uh, uh, medical school to be a clinician. An MD is a clinician. Mm -hmm. Masters in biology, because of my age, I didn't want to do a PhD MD because I already have another, you know, PhD. I don't want another. I don't need two PhDs and an MD. <laughs> so I just figured that, you know, just, you know, do the masters in biology so I have a foot in the the bench side, the research side of medicine, because it's different. Research medicine is different than clinical medicine. Oh yeah, vastly. So. So, um, and most, so most people I'm, that are clinical aren't going to be able to fill uh, questions and have the understanding of the research and the kind of things that you were digging into. You right, go to right. your family and, doctor and ask them the questions about the genome of COVID-19 and they're going to give you a funny look. Right. But, but to be fair, you know, the researchers, um, you know, don't know all the complications of clinical presentation and, you know, how to treat uh, that, that, that complexity. Absolutely. You know? So there, there's 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 a there's a place for both. 
mm -hmm. right? And, it, and it's very unique to have both skill sets. But um, so as I'm finishing my uh, uh, biology, master's in biology at Harvard, I, uh, I have applied and been accepted to medical school. So, so you know, I'm, so my, um, I, I'm doing papers, I'm writing papers right now, in, you know, for my master's in biology at Harvard. Uh, currently, I'm working on a paper that's dealing with HIV-1, uh, TAT protein, which, is, uh, that, which uh, has been found uh, for MS patients to uh, reduce their, reduce their um, autoimmune disorder. So I taking that and saying, well, can we use TAT as a protein to quiet the immune system for um, uh, Guillain-Barre uh, syndrome? Because it's also an immune disorder. Uh, usually it happens about two thirds or so. Uh, if you get an infection, um, you get this autoimmune disorder and those antibodies start to attack the myelin and you start to have um, which, uh, which a nervous explain. system. You might want to explain that that's the proteins on the sheath of the nerve cells uh, for, for the audience. They're, right. So your, your, your axon needs this myelin sheath uh -huh. to, speed, to speed up the actual electro, the electric current going through. Your, you have ion channels. And if you don't have that sheet, um, you, you have a slower um, electrical current to release the neurotransmitters in the, in, you know, at the end of the, the neuron. Um, this is part of the reason why when people have MS or other diseases that affect the, the nervous system, either the central nervous system or the peripheral nervous system, they start to slow down because their electrical current isn't working as well. So um, you need that protection and it, it allows for, for it to speed through um, so that's, that's a paper that I'm writing. When you're in a master's program, when you're doing, you know, you know, uh, master's level research, you know, you write a lot, you know, I've, I've written a, about endocrinology. I've written a lot about genomics and, you know, and, and, uh, well, you actually, know, you physiology and stuff. You don't just write papers. You've written books. You've got what? 10 yeah, right. I have eight books that I've written, you know, you know eight books and I've published, uh, I don't know, over 30 papers. You know, so I, it's not like I just, you know, uh, took this as an advantage to grow a channel. Honestly, I don't have time to grow a channel. I didn't want, you know, a channel. And I just wish this whole thing would go away because I realize that this is going to hurt a lot of people. I don't, you know, but I know that this is serious mm -hmm. and I'm trying to help people. And I think that the people that watch me and really listen to what I'm saying, Instead of just knee-jerk, you know, commenting, um, realize where I where I lie and where my heart really is. But it is, it, you know, so people are saying that I don't know what I'm talking about. The proof's in the pudding and the in the eating, as we were talking, you know, behind the scenes. And you know, it, it, do I know everything? No, I, 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 the amount that I don't know is a lot more than the amount that I do know. But that's what a researcher always thinks. A and good researcher will always admit that they don't know, mm -hmm. you know, so, and, but they use the scientific method and that scientific method, as you were bringing up through the PhD program of any PhD program, gives you the skill sets to learn. Mm -hmm. And when you question and you use the scientific method, you progress into, in, in, in develop knowledge.
Absolutely. You know? Well, let's don't beat this so, horse too much. I just wanted you to give an introduction and because I have to dispel so many comments every time uh, we, we do a program. Wait, wait, wait. I, just, just to put a cherry on the top, I also have two engineering certificates from MIT. That's a good cherry. Right, right. right. So, you know, so it's like, you know, it just, in, you know, it, but, you know, I just come on. Let's just, you know, just these people that keep on, you know, nitpicking. It, it's, it's unbelievable. And people that have saw it, the people, saw, people saw when I was talking to uh, Dr. Campbell. And Dr. Pedersen, both have PhDs in, you know, in, uh, I think Dr. Pedersen is in uh, toxicology or, or something like that. And, and Campbell is, um, is uh, physiology. But he, uh, Campbell was also a nurse too. He was a nurse and then got a PhD. And I was holding my own. And, you know, and that was very self-evident that I knew what I was talking about. Because I did, you know, in the master's program, I also did uh, research that was tied into uh, colon cancer. Mm -hmm. And some of the pathways that prevents the apoptosis in some of the cells, and why that is happening through the um, through the um, uh, the uh, DNA uh, proofreading uh, um, uh, enzyme, so or protein. Well, so you know, it's, it's like people don't realize that you know I do know what I'm talking about. <laughs> All right, very good. Well, and also a lot of what a lot of people don't realize is a cell is extremely complex. A, a single cell is like New York City in complexity. There, mm -hmm. there, 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 it's incredible when you think about what goes in the makeup of life. Uh, so let's move on here. Uh, right now, we're in a case where there's 466 cases in the United States alone, and we've had 19 deaths out of that. The uh, this thing is growing fast and you know a lot of us are concerned because uh there has not been a very good level of testing uh my concern is that we really don't know how many people are infected in the united states because they've been testing only people that were exposed to somebody who was known to be positive people that travel from the positive areas when they're showing symptoms we know it can be asymptomatic for uh, 24 days and that uh, we understand it can be spreading by people who are asymptomatic. That's a, prog that's a prescription for something to spread wildly under the radar before you're aware of it. That's a prescription for a fire burning underneath the carpet and then popping up everywhere. That's kind of the way fires did in Alaska, by the way, where I lived a couple of years. They would smolder under the, the heavy uh, uh, moss floor of the forest during the winter time, and then when things warmed up, they, they would start popping up all over the place as full raging fires. But you can actually drive along and see a little smoke trail here or there coming out of the snow, which was kind of funny. So I, I kind of think what we're seeing is the smoke, uh, the little smoke uh, trails coming up out of the snow here and there. There's a lot more going on smoldering underneath. So 460, uh, 474, excuse me. 474 cases in the United States, I think I said 66, um, with 19 deaths. Um, so what I'm really wondering is, you know, in Italy, I believe they went in three weeks from having three cases to 3,000. And Italy now is, uh, let's see, where are they at? They are, I can pull it up on my screen too. They are at 7,375 right now cases in Italy. Uh, it's, uh, I'm seeing that the prospect with geometric progression, and I mentioned earlier how things can really spread explosively once it gets started. 
that if we don't take the proper control measures. Now, Singapore has been really good with this. Singapore, for, uh, for example, they had this discovered in, back in January, and they did a lot of contact tracing and isolation early on and educated the public and didn't have the laissez-faire attitude we have about it today. And Singapore's only got 150 to 40 cases. So I think if we had not let the cat out of the bag early on, we'd be in good shape here in the United States. But I fear that we've taken, well, I, I, let me say distrust instead of fear. I distrust uh, our approach in this country that we have let the cat out of the bag and this is running loose underneath and is about to, to grow explosively. Not saying that we couldn't take measures to contain it, but I know in this country we tend to be reactive instead of proactive. So what are you looking at from your not hope? When do you think that we're, you know, already I'm hearing rumors of lockdown and a couple of communities. We know that in Northern Italy, they have uh, put about 16 million people in quarantine. So the quarantines are not just Wuhan. Oh yeah, by the way, for, for people to understand Wuhan, the poor citizenry of Wuhan, uh, oh, the 20th of January, China said that there is no sign of human to human transmission. On the 23rd of January, they put Wuhan under lockdown, uh, the entire Hubei uh, province actually, under lockdown. And then the lockdown spread very fast and you know, to the point they've had 760 million people in lockdown. So now that's been two months ago. For two months, practically, we've had all these people in just a real tight lockdown. I mean, that's something that you, you guys in this country need to, and the rest of the world need to pay attention to. How prepared are you to deal with that? So the reason I'm asking, I'll come back to it here, Paul, is with uh, 474 cases here in the United States right now that are identified, and good Lord knows how many we don't know about, uh, and, this, and the fact that this is popping up all over the United States, what do you see? What do you think we're looking at in terms of this thing growing explosively to the point we start quarantining cities here, here in the United States? It's important to mention something that's called asymmetric information. And what that basically means is, is that something may be happening on the ground and the official numbers may not be representing what's happening on the ground. So we believe that there are thousands of cases in the United States, partially because, primarily because, there's not enough testing that is going on. We know that local testing is not happening because the, case, the, the test kits haven't been delivered. And the testing that has been asked to be done by the physicians to be uh, samples to be shipped to the CDC, the CDC is forcing the physicians to fill out a bunch of paperwork and they deny them. And that's been, there's multiple cases in the mainstream media that have been stating this, not only on you know, the, the YouTube channels that we have. So uh, you know, there is this asymmetric information or this you know, below, you know, under, you know, the, under the carpet you know, burning that you're talking about. Uh -huh. uh, I, I think that we have thousands of cases that will start to pop up once you start testing for it. Yeah, uh, I mean, I went, here, here's a perfect example of the, the explosion. Last we talked, it was around 60 cases confirmed in the United States. Now we have over 470, all right? And maybe we had two deaths. I don't remember when we did the filming last week how many deaths we had. 
but it was 19. And, you know, right now we're at 4%. Uh, yeah, like this, we went a big case rate. just since I logged in with a computer on the screen. My laptop is still showing 474. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, you know, I'm, I'm glad that uh, the CDC is working the weekend. You know? <laughs> somebody, <laughs> you know, somebody, yeah. yeah. You know, so, but uh, what has changed in New York since we've talked is there is uh, more confirmed cases in Westchester County in uh, Nassau County um, and in New York City. So if you zoom in and just, you know, uh, you know, click the buttons there, you there know, you, you can 82. see. 82 right. in Westchester County, I'm showing it right now. Yeah, and then you click Manhattan. Yeah, and I think there's 16 there. 12 in New York City 12? there, where we're showing down here in Nassau, five down here. Yeah, you know, Long yeah. Island, way out here on Long Island, let's see, one out so, there. But they're, they're, that's so it's popping up, and we were t and we were talking uh, last week that New York City, no reported cases, it is the hub. Is the <laughs> no hub. reported cases last time we talked. Two yeah. over here in Rockland County, they reported the counties instead of the towns for some reason. I don't know why they do it because most of these are city centric in this area. But and then again. I think it's key that these are probably all uh, cases where people are showing symptoms. Uh, how many cases do you think we're reporting asymptomatic people here? Well, you know, I, I think it was on your show when I was talking about the, the delta between flu-like symptoms and comparing it to influenza cases from last year. And the right. curve is way above. So it's safe to assume that, they, that there are many, many cases that are just being diagnosed as flu-like, um, but haven't been tested for COVID officially. Yeah, and for various reasons, you know, most of them is because they don't have the test kits. But the problem, the this reality of the situation is, is that this has spread. We have a death here, the first one on the Eastern side of the United States here in Florida, right, right. here, near Cape Coral. Right, and you also have a death in California. Yeah, yeah. Most, yeah. most of the deaths have been, there's two deaths in, if you look at the death uh, um, column, you can see that there's two cases in Florida and then uh, one in California and the remainder in Washington. Yeah, I think the majority of the ones in Washington were from the same um, nursing home facility. Wow. Interesting. So, you know, here it is, you know, like here, it might, to me up here. Got it. Uh, I live in this area right in, right in here. That's where I'm at. That's probably the closest case to me. So Georgia has only one case right now. Well, that's just in that county. No, no, there's, there's they're all over. Uh, in Atlanta, Atlanta's got yeah. three right there. So that's yeah. five it's, right it's, here it's, in this, in this it's, area. It's starting. Yeah, and and you can you can say that you I can I think you can safely say that you have for each one of those clicks that have one case you probably until they do more testing you probably have a hundred right and i had a friend who was uh just in here that, that talked with you and i just before we started live here paul she lives right in this area here in tennessee and she was talking about no actually she's close to i-65 she's right in here and she was talking about this case up here just a few miles north of her mm -hmm. and so you know but i'm just right here i mean she's up here i'm right here i'm not almost in tennessee myself 
So this, this uh, fallacy that, they, that the government stated maybe eight days ago, you know, right. that eh, we don't have many endogenous um, cases uh, is, is wrong. I mean, you're seeing it pop up all over the place now. Yeah, 27 there, 71, King County, yeah. and right in Seattle. I mean, there are just three here. Yeah. One there, and they're everywhere, and and and, exactly. and, and, and I, I'm working with to, to, to explain. Right it. Yeah, I'm working with with the with the the hypothesis right now, and it, it may be a little bit high, okay, with, with what I'm saying, but I believe half of the population of the United States will have some form of COVID nineteen infection. All right, half, and we have three hundred thirty million people. So, you know, now more majority of them are probably going to be minor cases. And a lot of them are going to be classified as flu-like symptoms, and they won't be in the database because they won't be testing for it. But the point is, the reality of the situation, I think half the population is going to get COVID-19. Now, if you take one-sixth of those, and you take 25% of that, that's what the death rate will be. That's how many people will die. And it's going to be about, I believe, that after everything's said and done, after 18 months of, of, of this, where we have that second and, and, and tertiary uh, wave. Uh, what do you think? What, what are you saying the death rate will be of the people that actually catch it? Let me say that again. Uh, could you repeat that? What you're claiming? Okay. Uh, okay. I'm claiming, I'm claiming that, that within an 18 month period, that uh -huh. half of the country will be have some COVID-19 infection. Okay. One-sixth of those people. One-sixth. One-sixth will okay. have, severe case, have a severe case that, that, that could be in ICU. Okay. Maybe not as bad. I one-fifth. So you're being conservative. One-sixth. One and so then half of, then, all right, and then a quarter of those okay. will, will die. Right, right, right. So, so you're going to have about 6.7 million people that probably will die from this in the United States over an 18 to 20 month period. Okay. And you might be being charitable because our experience with this disease is on the order of months since it didn't even start in the December. It's just now coming here. But it's most people, but, 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 you know, we got to put it in context. Only 50,000 people die from the flu a year. Yeah, but that's because it's been so uh, prevalent for so long, and it's widespread already. And this right, is right, not. Right. This is a new disease. Right, right. exactly, exactly. But I, you know, I'm that. So I'm I'm working with the six point seven million dollar deaths deaths yeah. in the United States. This is right off Wikipedia. I mean, people have challenged me. What's your sources? Where do you get these numbers? I mean, we're getting numbers from John Hopkins off Wikipedia, from the WHO, from CDC. Now, and we'll, we'll show and talk these numbers, and we can also express why we have something somewhat less than absolutely enthusiastic assessment of these numbers. But that said, this is a fair place to start. And I'd like to, you know, see, this is scary here that we're, that these numbers are, you know, I'm on the verge of hitting this group right here. I'm presently just at the, at the end of the phase of here and about to be transitioned to that phase, but I'm in reasonably good health. But, you know, the regular flu, has a 0.1, 
zero point one. It means one in a thousand people in general and out of the general population has a chance of dying from the flu itself. I don't know anybody that's died of the flu. Um, and I know a lot of people. So that's kind of interesting that. So I think even 0.1% is high for the flu, but we're talking at least double that for age groups here. And these aren't the age groups you'd expect to be dying from the flu either. So when you've got people in this age group that has two in a thousand or one in 500 chance of dying, but that also means that they have at least one in a hundred chance of having a severely disabling disease afterwards, severe lung damage or other organ impairment. From what I'm hearing, this stuff is really, uh, really bad in the lungs, the pneumonia you get from this, and we might talk that in a moment. But as we can see, this is a, a curve that escalates kind of like the uh, progression, uh, geometric progression of the disease itself. And it's uh, symptomatic of probably other health problems and uh, lack of immunity that people have. So I think this will uh, be a segue in a moment to our discussion on immunity. But there's other, uh, this is a uh, world of meter in case anybody hasn't seen world of meter. They have a lot of statistics about our world, our planet. And this one in particular uh, goes uh, to, to like total cases in the world. So we're over 100,000 deaths we covered. Uh, here's your curves. They give country by country statistics on, uh, and you may have noticed there's some other channels that use this uh, chart specifically to mark from, uh, and one that you and I both, I think, have talked about previously. Uh, you know, the, the individual uses this a lot. Um, and, but if you come down, I've got another page from them. If my top screen here was interfering with me. They also have a, a similar breakdown. I have seen other breakdowns depicting this differently, but uh, these are this is essentially the same as this one over here. This is from uh, the World of Meter, and this is from Wikipedia. They both draw from the same sources, as does uh, John Hopkins' site where I had the map up earlier, and this site here that I was going through. Now, these numbers all draw from the same well. Mm -hmm. Same There's statistics a, reported by the nations themselves. I'm going to update this whole thing and see where it falls. It's interesting that uh, Italy is now the number two country. Uh, so one thing we can talk about here is the strains of this going around since uh, South Korea came out really fast as a number two country. Wait, can, can, can we go back to the chart, the bar chart that you had? Just real quick, I wanted to make a point here. This one? Because, you know, yeah, because, you know, we're, you know, come from an engineering background, you know, it's, uh, we understand this, but it's, it's important to mention. So here, we're, you're, we're showing the fatality rates for COVID-19. Mm -hmm. um, this is probably worldwide. Mm -hmm. Now, in the United States, you got to understand during that we have a lot of baby boomers, all right, and we have a big baby boom population, and a lot of them, I feel like. of them, you know, a lot of them, you know, um, have uh, health problems, heart disease, or pulmonary problems. For example, my mother, seventy, I think she's seventy-three. Um, she has severe COPD because she was a smoker for 40 years, never stopped, right? So she has the oxygen, she has heart disease, um, she's had multiple heart attacks and multiple stints, 
Um, she, she isn't in a situation where she could get uh, cabbage, which is basically uh, bypass surgery. So, you know, they're, they're trying to manage it through heart medication. If she gets COVID-19, she'll die. There's no doubt about it because she doesn't have the lung capacity to, to handle that. And there are a lot of people that have severe asthma, severe, you know, pulmonary distress um, as they get into their, you know, in their 70s. Uh, my father, he's 77 and he just has uh, some elevated blood pressure that, that can be managed by heart medication. Everything else, he's been pretty well. He's at risk because of his age, but probably would fare better than my mother because of the COPD. So there are a lot of people like myself that are Gen X. We have parents that if they get this, they have, there's a good possibility they die from it. Well, my dad is going to be 99 in less than a month, providing he survives. Right. I mean, you know, that, that's the category. You know, I'm assuming he's in good health. Is there, or no, is he in good health? Well, fairly, he's, he still lives by himself, but he's been fighting uh, leukemia for like 10 years. He's yeah, well, you know, on it, but I think it's right. to get to him. So you, see, he's like on Gleevec. He does have something on he's one on, of his he's a, Is he on Gleevec? No. Well, he's not taking anything right now. He, they, they, the uh, medication's kind of a hit him hard, so he got away from, from that for a bit. But mm -hmm. he's now showing signs of having something in one of his lungs. So mm -hmm. they're, they're taking fluid out of it now. He's in the hospital right now. They're checking. Yeah. So, I mean, if he got COVID, you know, it's, it's going to be a be major good. complication. Right. So good. here, this is, this is what's important. The, the point I'm making off of this chart is, is it's important to realize that it's also, it, it's also the demographics of the country. And our demographic, this is the point I was making. The reason why I, I think that the death rate will be, you know, 6.7 million people in, in the United States is because of the demographics of the country. A proxy to look at right now is what is, as this, it spreads in Japan, because they have Japan a very, uh, right, they have an older population, but the thing is, is that their elderly is a little bit healthier than the United States. Yeah. Yeah. So, so not only is it the elderly in the United States, it's also, the, it's also that middle, the 50-year-olds, the, the it's, it's not just the 60 and 70 year olds, but it's also the 50 and the 40 year olds that have the diabetes and the heart disease. Uh, you know, I, I, gotta, I gotta draw something to your attention here. This may not look as good down here as you might think uh, in the United States for us, right. because we have a heavy population of younger people that smoke heavy and use drugs. I, right. Now I dated a girl and she did not use drugs, but she had smoked and had done it heavy too long and she was uh 20 years younger than me and she had copd right exactly and there's lots of children that have uh d diabetes because they're, they they drink this pop and they're in you know they're always consuming these carbohydrates that they're in their their late teens early 20s and diabetes is a known complication with this yeah look at all the so, uh, overset uh, overweight kids who are just sitting around playing on their computers all day. Uh, they're not in good shape. Uh, they don't go outside. They don't get vitamin D. Uh, they're, they're just indoors. You know, these kids need to get outdoors. They need to exercise and, and get some sunshine. 
but they stay inside playing on their computer games instead. And they call people like me a boomer because we tell them to get out and do something. <laughs> right. So, so going back to the PhD, you know, level of, of thinking here, when you look at data and you apply it to a different system, you have to be careful that we don't do external fallacy. And that's why I was zoomed in on this particular data because our demographics in the United States are different. And Amen. a lot of people are not paying attention to that. Amen. Amen. By a lot of, by a lot of measures, our demographics are different. This, this, so we can't expect it to extrapolate directly to the United States because exactly. it's new here. This, right. this chart was mainly formed from the cases in China from the data they report for whatever that is or is not worth. And some of us have somewhat less than the utmost enthusiasm. But what is that comes out of a communist country? What is interesting though, is that uh, uh, very young children do not seem to be getting this. Okay. There is a couple cases that I that have heard that did get them, uh, newborns, but very few. So there, so there may be something with the thymus um, when we're when we're young, our thymus um, uh, produces uh, T cells, right? Huh. Or it, it, our, our, really, our bone marrow produces the T cells, but they they mature in the thymus. Well, it's much larger when you're younger, and it, it shrinks when you get older. So there may huh. may have it may be related to the uh, the endocrine system and the immune system uh, related to the thymus gland. Uh, where we um, th th these particular cohorts are less susceptible. Now, now the reason why I say this, the reason why I say this, is that there may there may be something that we can pull out of that that knowledge and help boost our immune system to whatever the ch whatever these infants are doing to fight in new infection because they were in, in utero. And now they're in the, the real world. Mm -hmm. They have this larger thymus gland to mm -hmm. fight infection. Whatever it's producing might be a therapeutic. Might be. And that's interesting because the young children don't typically have the immune system as adults. And they typically are more susceptible to these diseases. The fact that they're not should be a huge indicator here for researchers to delve into. Right. Very good. Excellent point. Hey, I just noticed here in the last few minutes, just since we've started talking, we've had 10 new cases in the United States. We'll have yes, to check this before we uh, terminate the call. Yeah, we're, we're, we, by the end of next week, we're in, we're in the thousands. Yeah. We're in the oh, thousands yeah. because oh, yeah, the testing will start to be, you know, and people are going to, I have friends that are in um, just outside of the Flushing area. Flushing is a, a very um, common Asian community in New York. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they're freaked out, totally freaked out. And they're, you know, they're going to the Costco's and, and you know, and the, 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 you know, to, you know, to buy food and long lines, they're running out of, you know, supplies. And these friends weren't paying attention. I mean, you would think my friends would listen to me, right? <laughs> but they weren't paying attention. And, you know, now they, they were crying on the phone last night, you know, saying that they're starting to realize and how bad it is. Well, if you're realizing it's too late and you can't get anything, then you're up yeah. a creek without a paddle, as we used to say in the Monday. Right, 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 right. And, and there's a lot of different information, disinformation out there that's making people have 
uh, complacency about this, their normalcy bias is, is kicked in full gear. And when they realize that, oh my God, it's not what we thought, it's too late. You take, for example, one of the things I hear that I have been told by multiple sources is we don't have to worry, this is just an Asian phenomenon. It don't affect uh, Caucasians and blacks and blah, blah, blah. Excuse yeah. me, uh, Iran. Let's take Iran for example. A lot of people in the United States don't seem to understand that Iranians are Persian. Persians are Caucasian. They're not Arab. They're not, they're not Asian. They're Caucasian, as most of us in the United States are. The majority, I would say. At least you and I are Caucasian to some degree. <laughs> right, right. So, uh, you know, they may be darker hair in general, but they are, you know, Caucasian people in Iran. Uh, the uh, Italians, go ahead and look at Ita Italy. It's exploding in Italy. And Milan and uh, uh, Venice are under lockdown. I've been up here to Turin. Uh, which used to be referred to mostly as Torino. I've actually seen the shroud of Turin there in Torino. I'm sure uh, uh, some people will, will like to fuss about that, but that's fine. Well, uh, you know, France is going to be, France and Germany is going to be another, you know, hotbed. Yeah. Look at these cases. They're, they're, they're just really set to start exploding all over Europe. Mm -hmm. And these are, my friends, these aren't just Chinese people. <laughs> Some people are, I, I'm actually heard that like yesterday. That's the only reason I bring it up here. Somebody's saying, hey, that's pretty obvious. Well, no, it's not. Because well, what it is, is that, you know, they had, you know, they, it's, it's wishful thinking. They're trying to, you know, they're trying to, they're, they're trying to find something to calm their nerves. You know, we did say, though, that certain uh, genomes uh, will um, produce, you know, will upregulate or some behaviors will upregulate ACE2 receptors. Right. But that doesn't mean that you, you know, it, it, that doesn't mean that you won't get it if you're not upregulating ACE2. You still will get it. And you also have to con consider the, the health of the society. Mm -hmm. That's a big component, mm -hmm. a very big component. At the health and the culture. How easy right. is it to stop? How, you take Iran, right. for example. What a lot of people don't realize is the Iranians are very affectionate people. They, uh, you know, Americans have a very big misconception about uh, Iran and the, the uh, Persian people of Iran, Iranians. And, uh, you, know, the, you know, they kiss, they hug. Uh, their uh, culture and, you know, the, the religious gatherings, you know, lend themselves to the spread of the disease. And that may be a part of why they got so much of it. We should probably also talk about the varieties because it seems to be showing up differently in Iran and Italy as opposed to uh, uh, over here in South Korea. Uh, it seems that South Koreans have a milder strain than the Italians and the uh, Iranians and that we have both strains in the United States. So that may be something to touch on. Well, you know, here's, you know, here it, it, it's it, it, like a coin, you know, has two sides, right? The bat SARS. The, the, the bat SARS, uh, SARS-like uh, homology and the SARS homology are native to Asia because the bat host is from Asia. So there, there is this um, symbiotic relationship, let's just say, uh, of, uh, in, in Asia of how, it may, how this disease may affect a, the Asian community. So one side of the coin could be, well, 
because of those farmers a long time ago, they may have had um, uh, milder cases of SARS years ago that they have built up some sort of antibody, all right? And that when they get hit with Wuhan, they, that some people may in the Asian community uh, ha have the ability to, to fight it better. Not that the antibody is perfect to the Wuhan strain because the Wuhan strain is bioengineered, but at least they have something that might slow down the viral load. The other side of the coin is, is that other individuals within the Asian community or around the world uh, may not have had you know, those, uh, you know, those types of infections years ago or, uh, you know, or, or, or um, um, you know, within, within that, within their community and they have, they, they, they're more susceptible. So th there's a lot, there's, there's a lot going on here. We do know this, this, this bioengineered virus, or what I'll call the Wuhan, okay, the Wuhan strain, um, has over time since probably October um, has mutated. All right. So what is in the NIH database, and there's probably more that are floating around in the world, but at least what we have in the database is a little bit more than 30, 30 of them. The genomes for, for these sequences are very similar. There's a little bit of stochastic noise, all right? There's some single nucleotide polymorphisms and some, you know, flipping around of uh, amino acids mm -hmm. and stuff. Yeah. But, but, um, but it does seem that there is a new strain that has popped off of the Wuhan called the RATG13 that was sequenced February 24th. Who sequenced that? Uh, I... I think it's the Chinese that sequenced it. They wrote the paper in, in China. I'd have so to look at the this, Is this uh, Stranger mentioned the same one as the L strain that they're claiming is newer? Does see, I'm not really sure if, if it's the L strain or the S strain because it's not clear in the paper. And that's why I did the research. Ah. So that's why I don't understand the paper fully what the L and the S are. Mm -hmm. And they, so I said, okay, there, there's two strains, okay, that are in the database. There is the RATG13 and in the there database. is the Wuhan. Yes. Right. And, the, and there's the Wuhan. Now, the Wuhan has about 30 versions, but they're really, really similar. So you, you just look at you know, the reference genome. So I always look at the Wuhan reference genome, completed reference genome, and I compared it with the RATG13, which was the new sequence. And that is different. And you can see a lot more stochastic things going on compared to the 30 um, uh, uh, versions of Wuhan, okay? And if you look at the HIV homology, you, th th there are four inserts. Three of them are for GAG120, and uh, I'm sorry, uh, three of them are for uh, um, glycoprotein 120, and then one insert is for GAG. Now, for the first insert for glycoprotein 120, for the S, S protein, only one amino acid changed hmm. out of six. So it's almost the same. The how can you tell uh, this insert, insert two? Not, how can you tell this an insert and not a, uh, uh, and not just something that morphed with evolution, a mutation? Well, if you look at the other SARS viruses, 
-hmm. or the bat SARS-like, they don't have the HIV homology. Now, can, can you have zoonotic HIV homology? Yes. Right. But how can you have zoonotic H HIV homology in four different insertion points? Ah. The probability of that happening is low. Yeah. Right. So, so that's, you use, you have to attack this from the, the bioinformatic and the probability standpoint to see that this was bioengineered. Not only that, if you look at the research papers, you can see farther back that they were studying HIV homology in the lab. What was the, the point of that study with regards to the coronavirus? Because HIV is a retrovirus, which is a very right, different right. But the thing virus. is, is that what it is is that that's that, that the spike that that spike protein on the coronavirus right. uh, needed um, a different charge to be able to lock into the ACE2 receptor better. Wow. Okay. So for so those there, the ACE2 other... receptor has, let's say, a negative charge. Right. They had to have the, they had positive. to have in the topology the positive charge, positive charge. to lock in to, to have a better affinity. All right. So for, for the listener, the ACE2 receptor is kind of like the keyhole in, uh, to the door in your cells, whereas the uh, uh, what he's talking about, the spike proteins are the keys. And basically, they fit in this keyhole. And, you know, the, 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 the keyhole has specific geometries. It's looking for things the cell should want to take in. So the virus has to mimic something your cell would ordinarily have an affinity for or want to bring into it. And so what they do is, 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 is the virus has to have a key that fits that. And that's what these spike proteins are. And, and the and closer that, that fit is, the better its probability of being pulled in. Various right. mutations may give you... Uh, degradations or uh, enhancements that allow it to be pulled in better evolution would 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 uh, uh, the virus would say since it's replicating a lot that th those versions of it that have the best fit would tend to propagate more over time uh, and so it would become more efficient at fitting the the ability to infect your cells if someone's trying to engineer it they would definitely try to search for ways to get it inside your cell and that's what uh, Dr. Paul Cottrell is referring to here is a uh, an addition of genetic material which would give it a higher affinity for that key, that spike protein, to fit the ACE2 inhibitor door lock, basically, so that it would bring it into your cell. And the 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 thing is that that, that that's just frightening. The, the thing that people are, are thinking into and, and and things like that. So if they were actually researching uh, those uh, HIV uh, uh, homologies for that, um, you got to wonder it, why they were doing it. It's, it's, it's important to tell the viewers, though, that the, the glycoprotein 120 is the spike on HIV to, to attach to immune cells. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it's only, it's not, the, the, this glycoprotein 120 is a large is a larger spike okay mm. we're only taking bits and pieces of it mm. to supercharge the spike protein on the coronavirus mm. but we have heard that there are some down regulation of antigen presenting t-cells so we're thinking that not only is it involving the ace2 but it's somehow down somehow affecting these probably cd4 cells 
Mm. The mechanism, we're not sure exactly what it, what what's what's happening. So they is may it, not show is it up. A direct for a while. mechanism or an indirect mechanism. Is this something that could show up as a you know how we get uh smallpox, not smallpox, chickenpox is a retrovirus, by the way, which means a retrovirus, not like a chron coronavirus has a big structure. Retrovirus is a smaller structure that a retrovirus will embed itself into your genes and live within you. It becomes mm -hmm. you, part of your genetic code, until mm -hmm. it decides to break out and replicate itself. And uh, you take herpes, which, well, herpes and uh, chickenpox are basically, they're, 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 they're the same viral family. Uh, and what happens is that uh, with chickenpox, it lays dormant in you for years and later resurfaces as, um, as shingles later in life when you're under certain kind of stresses. So I'm wondering if there might be, even though this is not a retrovirus, could it have a delayed reaction in these T cells that would surface at some later point in time? Well, this is, this is the endogenous second wave theory. We just don't know. You have two wave theories, this exogenous wave theory where you're getting reinfected from, from a, a mutated pathogen again, the endogenous second wave theory is, is that it's dormant and it's hitting you again. We don't know. We don't have enough data. But it's, it's important to, to mention to the, the, to the viewers because there's, I get a lot of emails about this. Just because you have HIV homology in the spike protein does not, that is not HIV True. virus. It's, the coronavirus is not a retrovirus. Right, absolutely it not. Have HIV it, it, cannot, it cannot do what a retrovirus does, but it can definitely go in your cells and manufacture new copies of itself. Right, right, right. And, exactly. Uh, yourself. exactly. So it's a very different machine mechanism. But we are, what we're, to, to further define what uh, Dr. Cachello said is what we're talking about is that key that goes into that ACE2 receptor. Now, Paul did mention behavior, and behavior is a key to the presence of ACE2 receptors because as it turns out, smokers have a higher number of ACE2 receptors on their cells. So if you're a smoker, you have a greater chance of uh, having more problems with complications from virus like this, in particular the COVID-19. You will be more susceptible to problems. So one good thing to do is, you know, you, you've already got a certain number of ACE2 receptors, you'll have them sometime, but I definitely advocate quit smoking. Cut it back as much as you can. And if you are a smoker, you need to take special precautions more than most. You know, if you're a smoker, you're up there with the people with the heart disease and the diabetes and other lung problems that would make them more susceptible to catching this virus. If you have friends and family who are smokers, one, you need to pay careful attention because they're more likely to catch this and be walking around with it uh, asymptomatic. And two, you need to take care of them. You want to take care of your loved ones and, and, and they're going to need special attention, perhaps special isolation. Right. And it's also not just the, you know, up or down regulation of ACE2, but the inflammation in the air sac will lower, you, you have a lower immunity because you have chronic inf infection, you have chronic inflammation that you don't want that when you get a, path, you know, a pathogen like COVID-19. This is your awesome. battery. Your battery is chart is, is lower. That's uh, that's uh, turmeric. Uh, turmeric. Oh, I, I, I was going to say. Okay. I grow lots of this. I grow it yeah. here, I and mean, I grow lots and lots yeah. of it. This is one of the strongest fighters in inflammation. Is turmeric. It has yeah. a multitude of health benefits. It fights a lot of ailments. Uh, you know, I'm not. You know, 
you can't say all these things, you know, without proper uh, disclaimers these days, because because we have such a wonderful freedom of speech thanks to the three-letter agencies that love us so much. <laughs> right, right. I'm sure the listener knows what I mean, but uh, we, we can talk a little bit later about things that, to do to help. Well, I mean, it's known to be an anti-inflammatory. I mean, that's well known. That's that's very well known. Um, you know, yeah, a, a, an experiment that you could do. Is you could you could do like a, a maybe an overworkout with weightlifting, and you take a ton of turmeric, and and you know what will happen the next day is you'll have a better recovery, because you don't have that inflammation of the muscles anymore. So um, you can do these little minor experiments, and you, you'll you'll notice this. You'll you'll also notice that people that, that take this type of stuff regularly, at, at a decent at, at decent dosage, um, you you won't have that chronic pain like uh, arthritic pain. Um, I, you know, I used to do triathlons, all right, when I was in my 20s and 30s. And I, you know, was developing arthritis from it, you know, especially mm. in the knees, the hip, the shoulder. When I started doing, you know, taking um, like a nutraceutical uh, anti-inflammatory regime, you know, like the turmerics out there, uh, that pain went away. I mean, it's gone, totally gone. But I was also uh, stacking it with D3 and uh, K2. So what that does is that if you, D, D3, yeah, right, exactly. So what people don't realize is you can remodel your bone. And uh, when you have osteoblasts and osteoclasts, and that um, if you, it, it, what I was doing, it, it was pretty simple. It was very high doses of D3. It was like, uh, with my weight, I was taking uh, around 25,000 individual units of D3 oh. for nine months, for wow. nine months. And um, taking two glasses of milk, um, it was, uh, um, I think, 1%. And I was doing minor resistance training in the areas of inflammation. And after, after those nine months, the, the, um, with the tumor, um, the arthritic pain went a hundred percent away, absolutely a hundred percent away. And, but the thing is, is that when you do that, when you do that, uh, D3 can accumulate in your adipose tissue. So you, when you're taking it in high doses like this, so there is, once you start feeling the brain fog there, once you feel brain fog, you stop doing that. Now you can mix it with the K2 and that will help with the depositing of the, of the, of the calcium when you're doing the remodeling. But the point is, is that the, K, but the, but the, 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 the remodeling um, physiology that I was doing to, to, to prevent the arthritis from, from, you know, being a, doing the triathlons was that the, the osteoblasts would eat up calcium. All right. It, it was it, it was helped by the D three to take the calcium, put it back in the blood in, into the blood, the blood mm -hmm. plasma. The D three, the, the, the K two, the K two with uh, calcitonin, uh, which is uh, produced um, by your uh, parathyroid, is it parathyroid or thyroid? Thyroid by your thyroid um, will will uh, help to deposit it back into your bone. But because you're doing the resistance training, you've told the body where to put it. Mm. And the K2 and, and the, osteoblast, uh, the osteoclast will now deposit to that inflamed area. 
And over time, that's why you need the, that seven to nine months. And over time, you have now rebuilt that inflamed area. You no longer have the chronic inflammation. You mm. use the turmeric also to, to, to be anti-inflammatory. And what will, what will happen is, is you know, you, you, that arthritic pain will go away. Um, so a lot of athletes, you know, work with like a, a sports physician and they do this. Now, because of my size, I only uh, was doing 25, a thousand individual units. But some of these larger athletes, you know, like football players, and that, they go all the way up to 100,000 100, individual units. But the thing is, is that you, ha you, you have to be careful because there is toxicity that can, that can be built up in your adipose tissue. So it's not like, you, you know, you, you, you can't like eat, uh, you know, a big steak every day because what will happen is, is you don't want to deposit adipose tissue and, and start depositing all that D3 into your, into your new fat. You follow me? So, so, you know, it's important to kind of maintain your body weight while you're doing this, but there, th th this, you know, I, I did it and it, you know, it, 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 it works. So, but I, I got this idea from Dr. Group. He was talking about it on his show on how, you know, how tennis players had the, you know, the, the wrist and the elbow, the tennis elbow and how they got rid of the, how they got rid of the arthritis. Okay. By taking so the 50,000 individual units. What would you recommend for people that want to take vitamin D3 is an, uh, to help keep their immunity up to prevent themselves from catching flus and COVID viruses and other things that go around. D3 seems to be the, uh, I, I do, I do for my normal intake, I take a uh, 5,000 uh, tablet and I, I take that twice a day. I take it okay. in the morning and night. Okay. But I drink two glasses of milk a day. Now, some people don't drink milk. I, I, I for some reason, I cannot drink milk. I have to drink milk, <laughs> you know, but uh, there's some people that say, oh, you shouldn't, you know, it's bad for, you know, uh, uh, you know, your arteries and stuff like that. Um, but the D3, uh, the D3 coupled with the K2 um, will help to prevent uh, plaque deposits in, in your, in your arteries. That's a, that's, they, the cardiologists have known this for, for a while. And um, even orthopedic surgeons, when they're starting to do their pre-op uh, evaluation with, with their, with their patients, if they start uh, seeing a lot of calcium de depositing, uh, they'll put them on a, a, a K, uh, K2 regimen right before surgery. What about vitamin C? I have this uh, liposomal vitamin C. This is supposed to be a lot more absorptive. Yeah, yeah I, take, um, I take two uh, 100 milligram tablets a day. And if I'm sick, you know, you know triple that. You take two 100 milligram tablets a day? No, no, I take two 1,000. Oh, okay, these, these are 1,000. Okay. And then in my multivitamin, in my multivitamin, I think there's maybe uh, uh, 500 milligrams. So mm -hmm. you add that to the multivitamin. And uh, we all know that zinc is a fair preventative from uh, kitchen. Yeah, yeah. I take one. I take one. I take one tablet a day. But if I'm sick, I'll take two. Okay. Would you take them uh, before you go out in the, in the day, or take them after you get home? The zinc is uh, in the morning. In the morning. All right, now you do sell colloidal silver. I have some colloidal silver here. This is uh, yeah. You know, I was you know I was I was use I was using the colloidal silver that uh, the silver bullet off of Alex Jones's uh, store, mm -hmm. 
Um, I've had good, good results with it. But as I was interviewing people on my show dealing with nanosilver, right. I, found, I found that uh, the liquid nanosilver 30, 30 ppms is actually better. And here's the reason. Here's the reason. The, nan the colloidal silver is, is ionic. Mm -hmm. So you don't, you're only dealing with one, you're only dealing with one atom. It's an ion mm -hmm. um, where the, the structured uh, nano product has uh, one silver atom with four oxygen atoms. So mm -hmm. it's a, it's a tetrahedral. So it's attacking from four different, you know, positions. Mm -hmm. So you can, so it, it has, it has more topology to attack the, um, the glycoproteins that are on the, um, the pathogen. And disrupt it. That's interesting. So That's I, you know, so you know, and um, there is there is some evidence that uh, if if you take colloidal silver a lot, um, that it actually may disrupt the um, the gut biome until you stop taking, and then you know repopulate with, with the pro with the probiotic, whereby the, the tetrahedral molecule. Uh, it doesn't have that issue. Interesting. I can believe that because uh, in your gut biome is really your first line of defense. And I have friends mm -hmm. that uh, was in the military during the uh, first and second Gulf War, especially the first Gulf War in Iraq. And they had to take Cipriol because of the fear of anthrax. Mm -hmm. and I have one friend in particular who is really just ate up with uh, entire intestinal tract uh, ulcers from the mouth all the way to the very and that's interesting you, you say that because my brother joel uh served in the military in the army he uh served in 92 to uh, beginning in 95 something like that well, he did three years um he was stationed in washington washington state mm -hmm. um and he he was he had the, all those vaccines and everything and now he can't eat pizza I mean, it just like just goes through his system like, like it's nothing, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah, I was in the army. My son was in the army. My son got that Gillian Bear disease, and I really wonder if it's from all the vaccines. That... It could be. It could be. And you know, it's it's you know, it's interesting that you 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 talk about that um, because uh, you know I'm working on that research paper, you know, with uh, maybe using that HIV one um, TAT protein to calm the immune system because that, that uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome is, is attacking the, it's a, it's, a, it's a disease that is attacking the peripheral nervous system. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's some antibodies that, are, that, that you get usually from a pathogen. You, you build up uh, antibodies to fight a pathogen, but the antibodies that are created to fight the pathogen have similar topology, which it happens to think that your axon myelin sheath is the pathogen and it starts to eat, you know, eat it up. So sometimes you, you know, we're, they're, you know, trying to, they're, they're trying to come up with good therapeutics to, to, to fight this, uh, this type of disease or syndrome. Um, but the paper I'm working on is, is focused on using the TAT protein because of research that's been done for MS. Individuals that have MS that have also HIV don't have as severe of MS. And they found out that it had something to do with the, the uh, TAT protein um, 
um, there's different what they call clads. Uh, clad B and clad C of TAT seems to downregulate uh, the immune system to lessen the effects of, of MS. So the theory is to extrapolate that to other autoimmune disorders that are dealing with the central nervous system or the peripheral nervous system. Mm. Interesting. So yeah, that could have a lot of implications and uh, hopefully y'all can figure out how to use that more effectively. Um, that could, you know, we're, we're, it's really crazy. We're to precipice of so many good things, but also so many bad things all at once. If we could pull our society through in such a way that we can maintain the good stuff, we, we, you know, we could be in such an amazing world. But our world's got so many threats right now. Again, well, you know, here's the thing: is it's like with with it's about state of mind. It's about uh, are you optimistic or are you pessimistic? You know, I, you know, in, in an optimistic world or an op optimistic scientist, they're going to see um, the, the growth of knowledge as, as a positive mm -hmm. and how to, how to make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. The ones that are pessimistic, um, they, they may see uh, death, destruction, evil, weapons of war. Sometimes we have a different uh, definition of a better place also. <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. I mean, that's you know. Worse. So, yeah, right. So we talked about our immunity. Uh, what other me methods of prevention would you like to mention? I haven't heard of one thing you might comment on. I've heard that you should, I've got water here in this coffee cup. I had coffee in it earlier, but I hear that you should drink water maybe every 15 minutes, just a little a sip to keep your esophagus wet, especially out in the public, and that it would wash down any bacteria or viral particles, what we're worried about here, into your uh, stomach, and the acid would kill them. Well, I mean, that's a good idea to keep, you know, to keep your throat moist, not to have dry throat. Yeah. Um, what I do is I try to, I try, you know, it's sometimes it's hard to do, but I try to drink 64 ounces of, of, of filtered water, but it's not just drinking water. It's drinking filtered water. You want to stay right. away from that fluoride, you know, right, and right. Then, you know, the other kind of comes. Right. Mine is, mine is spring water that I'm drinking right now. So it's, uh, does not have the, the, the chlorine or the sodium chloride in it. So, when I, so I, follow, I, I follow Dr. Group's uh, advice, you know, around 64 ounces of, of filtered water. I use the zero filtered system, zero water filtered system, filtration system. And I have but, a pore pure. Mm -hmm. I have a pore pure in through uh, my website. People can go uh, to prepwithgreg.com and through my Patriot Supply, you can get uh, Berkeley filters. Uh, you can, there's also, hey, look, you know, we just talked about. Uh, Lockdown, we talked about uh, quarantine. Uh, even if you don't have an imposed quarantine, you may self-quarantine or self-quarantines may give us the effectivity of a quarantine, uh, especially when you go to your grocery. Between that and hoarding and runs on the grocery stores, you may not be able to buy supplies. So everyone should really consider uh, uh, stocking up on at least two months food supply. Now look, you know, Wuhan has been in lockdown for two months now. So you can actually get a, uh, uh, great deal to uh, prepwithgreg.com on uh, one, two week and one month uh, supplies. Uh, one month is like a hundred dollars off. You can also buy longer term supplies and uh, food. And we're talking about long term storage food, water purification. Prepwithgreg.com on uh, is a great uh, way to get into my picture uh, supply and help me in my channel too. By the way, so anything you do in that regard, I greatly appreciate it. 
So no, I preparing for food. I mean, that's, it's important. Yeah. It's important. Um, that's a big one. That's a very big one. And I, I think that some of the friends that, that were calling me last night, they were, they started to feel the panic because they, they were going to Costco and they saw the long lines and, and the, 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 the supply shortages. They start, once they start seeing the supply shortages, then they realize, oh my God, this is a real. Last time was, I went to Lowe's, they had no uh, N95 mask there. Uh, they were out. And the fact they didn't have the painter mask, didn't have any of them. They were totally sold out. Mm -hmm. So that's something to look at. These supplies are going out. I would like to mention that in terms of prevention, uh, they're now telling us, uh, the stock word is if these don't help you, they're no good. Uh, save them for the doctors because the doctors need them. Well, if they don't help you, why the doctors need them and how they help the doctors. <laughs> so they can help you. No, they're not a bulletproof uh, barrier, but if for nothing else to keep you from putting your finger on your mouth. Uh, and uh, the N95 does filter droplet sized particles. If you have a good sale, which I'm not going to get with this beard, by the way, but I can put thieves oil in my beard. Uh, this uh, uh, does prevent a lot of particles from coming in, but you got to be careful, man, how you handle it. You shouldn't be handling the front where you're breathing through. If you take it off, you use the straps as much as possible or the edges. And if you uh, a cheap mask that, you, that gets moist from your breathing, it's just going to be a breathing ground for uh, whatever is there. The viral particles will live longer and survive in a, in a moist mask. So you don't want a thin, flimsy mask. Um, but you don't want to hoard them either because if the medical community runs out, they're going to be scared and uh, less likely to be there to take care of you. Mm -hmm. Well, that's an important point is, is that the first responders, the nurses, the doctors, the PAs, um, if they go down and they get furloughed because they've been infected, uh, you, yeah, you don't, you don't have healthcare. That's what I mean. But you, you may be living in a, in a society that has 21st century medicine, but it can snap into the 16th century very quickly. And when you can't get healthcare, it's very important that you have the supplies. If you have heart disease or you have, you know, other uh, chronic conditions that have to be treated through medication, you have to talk to your doctor and make sure that you have enough supply, um, you know, to, 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 uh, to help with your ailment, but individuals in, in terms of nutraceuticals, um, or homeopathic, you know, remedies, make sure you have enough supplies from, from your, uh, natural food stores or, or, or uh, you know, or, uh, homeopathic stores. Um, I, I have worked with, with European researchers since, the second week, uh, this I started covering this. So it was the, the beginning of February, where we were working with chemists in a nonprofit organization, and we were looking at uh, research papers that in vitro uh, killed coronaviruses, uh, dealing with the three CL uh, protease because that is a conserved region. Keep going. I'm gonna step away just for a second. I'll be right back. Yeah, that's that's a concern. That's a conserved region for all coronaviruses. And you need the protease to be able to form the replicase that helps with the manufacturing of proteins and the manufacturing of uh, new RNA. Um, and that research paper showed that certain terpenoids and lignoids compounds, there's about 22 of them um, that were studied, many of them had protease uh, inhibition, meaning that they slowed down 
the uh, viral load in cells or, or killed off uh, the virus. So uh, some nutraceuticals do have some of these terpenoid and lignoid compounds. So, you know, we've we did a video to show that you can attack this not just with your normal everyday regime, but if you are sick, you can apply these terpenoid and lignoid uh, compounds that are found in forskolone, relora, mm. calendula, and birch bark, and then have them stacked. Uh, you can also add in, if you want, licorice root, uh, which is known to be antiviral. Is bark and licorice root on your site? You, you had mentioned you had a little store in uh, previous videos. Yeah, well, I don't sell birch bark, licorice root, um, relora, or forskolone, or the calendula. I just mentioned to the public, go on Amazon. You can easily get those from any supplier. The point is, is that I call it MacGyvering. You know, everyone knows MacGyver. You know, mm -hmm. he, you know, it, it's not a perfect thing, but these compounds are in these, these, um, these supplements or nutraceuticals where if you are sick and you can't get to a doctor, one way to attack this from a homeopathic perspective or a nutraceutical perspective is to use the forskolone, the relora, the calendula, and the birch bark. I don't sell those, but just go to Amazon. You can easily get them right now um, on, on, on Amazon. Um, licorice root will also help. It's known to be antiviral. Thieves oil is also, you know, also will help. Um, so this attacks it from the protease perspective to in to do a protease inhibition now if you go to a doctor and get a protease inhibitor that is more targeted and, and at a higher concentration so getting the protease inhibitor from a doctor you know through a through a prescription is a lot better but if you can't get to a doctor this is another method it's not going to be as good but at least it's something right that's the point then in terms of cytokine storm and uh, uh, mast cell degranulation, um, we are recommending um, rosemary. There are many compounds in rosemary that, that will quiet cytokines. Interesting. So um, get that, you know, get some rosemary in, in, in your armament for that second wave. There that's, you go. That's, that's, what we're that's what we're that's what we're recommending from a homeopathic perspective. Now there are other, you know, there are chemicals, you know, like the thing that we were talking about with the TAT protein mm -hmm. from HIV. I mean, technically, that's a, that 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 might be a cytokine storm disruptor. Hmm. Maybe, maybe, you know. That's what but, I had but, asked you about before we started. You know, but that's uh, something you can't get at a store. That's something that only you know. <laughs> but you know, that's that's like really, re, you know you know, early, you know, early research thing. But, right. but the point is, is that there are chemicals that there are interleukins that are pro-inflammatory and anti-inflammatory. So what you want to do is find compounds that will reduce your pro-inflammation and increase your anti-inflammation cytok your, your anti-inflammation uh, interleukins. So, um, but uh, rosemary has many compounds that have, turmeric is another one, um, um, uh, cumin is an, another one. Um, turmeric. Yeah, so well, uh, cur curumin is in turmeric. That's the main 
that's the 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 main uh, substance that is the anti-inflammatory. Cumin is a is another spice. Oh that yeah, yeah, used yeah. So that that is anti-inflammatory. So cur so people need to realize, uh, you know, that the, there's there's curmin, and there's cumin. They're both anti-inflammatory. Turmeric is curmin. All right. So, um, but, uh, so there's a lot, there, there's ways to treat the cytokine storm from a homeopathic perspective by the, these anti-inflammatory spices and the, the rosemary. We should probably define why we're concerned about a cytokine storm to the, uh, reader, uh, to the follower here, because not all of them are familiar with. So what, what happens, so, so, so what happens when your immune system gets activated, it starts, you have uh, certain cells that will, will produce these compounds to secrete them um, in your in interstitial tissue. They're called cytokines, all mm -hmm. right? That's an overall uh, chemical name. Um, and they do many different functions. They do paracrine, uh, juxtacrine, um, uh, signaling. The cells signal it to each other, and they tell. And, and what it does is, uh, when they're sit, when they get these signals, they have internal processes that change. But they also can what is uh, chemotax, meaning uh, a cell could sense it, and it'll move towards that or move away to those cytokines. All right, but the cytokine storm is just like this elevated level of of cytokines that are produced and you get this big immune response um and it it may actually hurt the patient it's kind of like uh, sepsis in a way well, and you you know with these cytokine storms you you want you 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 don't you don't want an over inflammatory response it's my understanding that some of the earlier attempts to develop uh vaccines to fight coronaviruses had developed uh, antibodies in the subject test animal, but when they actually exposed the animal to the virus, the subject virus, that the animal had such an overreaction from a cytokine storm that it killed the animals. Right, exactly. So, so that's uh, one thing to be concerned with and another reason that we need to promote transparency. So one thing you had brought up in the very first session was the need for transparency. And I suggested that we might take an approach and model it after my friend, Mike Maybe, Command Sergeant Major, Mike Maybe. And I've got an interview I did with him for people but look back through my videos. His main thing is power grid defense, civil defense. Uh, he's a, nothing short of a, a real hero in this world. He was at the 9-11 site and he saved the guy's life. And uh, he uh, has done a lot of work to try to promote transparency in the power grid industry because they're just covering up a lot of stuff. And so he's created kind of an action network and approach and working with some other organizations like uh, uh, well, some of these interstate organizations I'm involved in that are involved in power grid defense. Uh, so I was thinking maybe we should look at doing something similar to that uh, for this purpose, because if we really want transparency, we've got to push for it. We've got to get people calling our congressmen. We need some kind of platform on the internet or someplace where people can go telling them to, hey, call their congressman, do X, Y, Z, call this person, call that person, something to get the information out there. And so I'd, 
uh, since you seem to be at the forefront of this, maybe you or somebody that you know might could take this on as an action to put out a website that to put this kind of data out there and then channels like ours could funnel people to it to, to get them to do the things that uh, we need to, to make sure that we have the transparency in the development of the vaccine platforms, uh, whatever treatment fl platforms they come up with or whatever else. We need to really understand what they're trying to foist upon us. I like the idea, and there, but there's, there's some complication you know, here. But let me unpack. I, it's a great idea, but there's, there's a bit of a complication. Um, I've been promoting on my channel the idea of, of transparency. Mm -hmm. I'm concerned about the quality of our vaccination mm -hmm. program, and I'm very concerned about the scheduling for young children. I think it's way too aggressive. And I'm concerned about the force vaccination that's, that's taking place in the United States. Um, I think we need to rethink that whole thing. Um, in terms of safety of, of, of vaccines, I'm, I, you know, I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but I'm not a pro-vaxxer either. I'm in the middle. Right? And what I mean by that is, is that I don't think every disease needs to have a vaccine. All right? and I, but I also don't believe that, I, you know, that all, you know, all vaccines are bad. All right? The middle ground is saying, well, there, there, there are some vaccines that should be administered. We have to be careful on when we administer them. And the quality uh, assurance a third party quality assurance, I think is very important. And we need to, you know, we need to start really being more transparent on the adjuvants that are in it. And what are the long-term side effects, especially for young children, um, uh, with these adjuvants that create the immune response. People don't really realize that a lot of these vaccines, when they put the pathogen in it, they either deactivate it or they put it attenuated, or even they, when they use the, the messenger RNA platform, the immune system doesn't want to respond. So they have to put all these, these nanoparticles and, and detergents and, and, and formaldehyde and all this stuff to just get the immune system to respond. And, preservatives also. That. Yeah, and, well, exactly. Uh, you know, on the shelf preservatives, you know, for the economics. So we need a third party that, that can uh, take a look at these vaccines, randomized lots, prove what's supposed to be in there mm -hmm. is in there, mm -hmm. and and you know uh, you know also inform the public that you know what are some of the dangers for certain cohorts. We need to we need to understand why instead of just saying yeah it just happens. We need to under ask the question why are some individuals having really bad side effects, you know affecting the central nervous system or other, you know, other um, systems in the body. So having a website that, that promotes a safe vaccine program that is third party managed um, and as transparent, I think is a great idea. Here's the problem. I've noticed it on my channel. There is a big division dealing with this subject between oh, yeah. the anti-vaxxers and the pro-vaxxers. And right now there isn't a middle ground. I mean, it's like you just get you get cross fired by both sides. Oh yeah, I I, I posted. And there's stuff the yeah, that's the big past, problem. 
And I and, and and it really is like kicking a hornet nest. Uh, yeah, because if you if you if you're if you're saying that, well, here is a uh, here is a uh, organization, let's say a nonprofit organization that's doing third party testing. Um, the win the ones that are anti vaxxers are going to say you're promote you're you're working for the man and you're promoting vaccine vaccines and we don't believe you. Mm-hmm. The pro vaxxers are going to say, oh, you're placating to the anti vaxxers and you're not listening to the medical community. So you can't win. You get crossfired no matter what you do. <laughs> you know, so it's not many, it, there's, it's, 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 uh, it's stuck in a hard place in a rock, you know, you know, analogy. So uh, it, 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 I like the idea. We need, we need third party testing. So who can we find that would pick this up and go with it? I mean, it would be a value of someone would, well, you know, like it would start with a website to, 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 you know, to raise the awareness, I mean, but then it goes to phase, phase, phase two would be actually building a lab to actually do the testing. Okay. Okay. Paul, let's face it. If they're going to develop vaccines, no matter what you or I or any pro or anti-vaxxer does at this point, the vaccine mm-hmm. development program is going to progress. It's going to be out there. So that's wherein I see the value of having a transparency program, irrespective of whether or not you as an individual would take the vaccine. I think having a program of third party uh, people involved in this to, to, to maintain transparency of what's been developed is a worthy thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know, the thing is, is how is it funded? I mean, it, it, a lot has been taken place with crowdfunding, and there's probably enough interest there where you can not be affiliated with a university or a government organization or even a, um, a philanthropic, you know, philanthropic, uh, giver. Um, we just, you know, uh, have it crowdsourced and that would, that would reduce the bias by quite a bit, but Maybe I don't know no. if there, I don't know if, pe- if there would be enough people willing to give for that. I'm not sure. Oh. Maybe there would be, I don't know. Here's a question. But, Here's a question. Is there an existing laboratory right now that would tend to be an independent evaluator? If so, it might be that the chief activity would be promote to the regulatory powers that be and to Congress that this be undertaken. And maybe we don't have to develop a lab for it. So the crowdfunding activity just may be a, a, an activity of maintaining the website itself to get activists to act. If there is a lab, I'm not familiar with it. But what is what, there is a, a, a uh, analog that we can look at. That analog is what Mike Adams is doing by proving out um, uh, chemical composition in certain foods. You know, he you know he has analyzing equipment that does this. Take that same kind of model and you know get random lots of these different vaccines to prove out the actual, um, the, the composition and the efficacy. I was um, actually thinking of Mike Adams when I asked that question. I, wonder- that, I don't know if he would take on that, but I mean, but he has a laboratory that, that it has a similar model, but I, his laboratory isn't geared for that. Mm-hmm. You know, you need a, you need, you know, you need, for example, especially for, um, uh, vaccines, that have uh, genetic uh, components to it, 
you need to have sequencers and PCR, you know, technologies and, and, you know, he, he's more mass spectrometry, so but my, you know, yeah. he's not, yeah. he's not, you know, proteomic and he's not genomic. So it's a different, it's a different type of lab, mm -hmm. but the, it's the same kind of uh, co-business model where it's a, it's like a third party that's testing it and publishing the results and being transparent. That model, that concept works. Now, well, the type of lab he has wouldn't, wouldn't work for this. It would have to be geared for it. It'd be re, it would have to be tooled specifically for a, a proteomic, um, genomic, um, um, you know, uh, type, type lab, laboratory. Yeah, but he, may, he may know someone. Somebody can contact Maybe. him. He may know someone. Now, his lab, his, his lab could probably test for the, um, the um, percentage of adjuvants. Mm -hmm. that, that are in it, um, the detergents, the, the um, nanoparticles, the formaldehyde, um, the aluminum. He could probably test for a lot of those types of compounds, but his lab isn't geared for proteomics or genomic sequences. It would be really interesting to have a lab that could test the RNA messenger platform to see what that thing yeah. could do. That's my point. Yeah, that's my point. <laughs> you, have to, you have to tease that out and, and sequence it and, and make sure that what they what it's supposed to be is in there I mean, we're talking about there programming is people for pete's sake with this stuff i mean that's you know you really got to be concerned when you're putting a, a programming into your cells um but there may be yet another approach if we can't find the resources or the existent facilities for a lab to do that you might have an auditing uh, agency type approach by an independent auditor whereas we're in a group of people could be assembled to go in and audit uh, the companies doing this. Now that would have to be forced and normally our three letter uh, regulatory agencies are supposed to do that, but they're not independent. They are in bed with the companies they are supposed to be regulated. We would need something out of that uh, regulator, regulatee uh, in bed with each other environment that we have with the government today. And I did a video in which I talked specifically to that called uh, how our government is actually run. I read a poem in fact about that where I really spanked it hard. But that's what we got to get away from. We need some real true independent eyes, but it may require the force of a regulatory agency to make it happen. That's the sad part about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's taking the audit point of view, you know, there, I, I see the lobbying groups squashing it. Well, that's why you've got to have your own political activist. Uh, yeah, they would. Absolutely, they would squash it, and they would squash it in a heartbeat. That's why you have to have your own activist arm to push for this. That's why you have to have a website that forces people or gets people to call the uh, congressman, the regulate, uh, regulated agencies and so forth and just and, and do what. See, this is what Mike maybe is doing is he's getting stuff on the docket of these agencies and, and force them to have hearings on things within the agencies. So they've not, they've always had the mechanisms to do that, but no one ever exercised them before. And he's doing that. And so that's really interesting. And by the way, I have had a lot of experience with that. I was chairman of the policy committee, the National Space Society for 10 years and led a lot of groups uh, running up and down the halls of Congress. And we had some pretty good effectivity with changing uh, the outcomes of space legislation. So uh, yeah, I've, I've been there, done that.
It's an interesting approach. I believe, though, that uh, when they did the Superfund, that in the legislation, it had that uh, the, the industry had to report to Congress or whoever regulates the industry had to report to Congress. And um, that reporting isn't taking place. So just the point I'm making is just that just because it's in legislation doesn't mean that it's being reported. Yeah, so, you know, so it's, it, it, and it maybe the people that are in Congress don't realize they need it, you know, they, that, you know, that it's in law, that they, they need a report. So, but the enforcement of the law or the spirit of the law. Um, so that's where it comes in, the useful to have people getting on the docket to make things happen within these agencies to push for things. So, and that's where Mike may be site. You might go check Mike Maybe's website out and, uh, and look at that and see what he's doing. It might give you some ideas and maybe we can get something growing around this. This part of what I'm about my channel. So many channels that are out there that just tell you that, hey, um, things are bad. Get buy a can of beans, buy a bullet and put a mask on. <laughs> and, well, you know, I will tell you one of the things are getting bad. You gotta be aware to prepare. I do tell people that and I tell people to keep the eyes wide open, head on a swivel, but I also am a little bit more proactive. I, you know, I, I do whole prayer sessions, you know, just to help, uh, move us collectively as a society into a better, uh, alternate reality. I believe in a multidimensional universe, by the way. And I've done a lot of talk about that in previous videos and other channels and a little bit on mine, <clears throat> but I believe in the power of intention. I believe in the power of prayer, the power of meditation. I think that, mm -hmm. especially when you have a lot of people collectively working toward that, and I, I think it can definitely be an interfaith thing. I'm not uh, a sticker on that at all. Uh, I would I would invite people from any and every faith to participate in when, when we do these kind of things. I've held several of those, by the way, and we just need to grow it. We need more people involved in that. Uh, but but we also need to take action. We need to take physical action. I do. Uh, videos on power grid defense. And I ask people to go out and do things. I ask them to call their congressman. I ask them to take specific steps. And uh, the video I had with uh, Mike, maybe we did just that. We, uh, we had uh, an outline of things that we asked people to do. And I've done that a, more than once with regards to the power grid. We're trying to get the grid hardened and that's a big uphill battle, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't take it on. So I'm a, I'm, I am proactive and I believe we've got to be proactive as a society. And I'm also helping uh, initiate the formation of tribes amongst my subscribers. This is in the uh, initial phase, uh, but I have uh, been out to, we've got an initial tribe site in formation in Northeast Arizona. And I've been part of that, been there. And hopefully we'll start picking this up in other areas. Right now I'm just kind of consuming needing to do taxes and this is peak season for worms and planting. And so I kind of got to get a good part of April behind me before I can really get running with it. But I think in part, we need to look, we're gonna to have to revisit in our country how we live and how we exist as a society with something like this COVID-19 running around, which could be here for two years or more. And even if this burns out and blows away, these preparations that we would take to deal with this can make us more resilient when the next thing comes along and it could, the other shoes could drop and could drop fast. I'd have reminded people in some of my videos that Somebody with their infinite wisdom saw fit to create a uh, human transmissible version of the bird flu. 
and it was so great and wonderful, such a nice idea that it wasn't done by just one group. It was two in two different countries, Indonesia of all places and the Netherlands. They actually mm -hmm. in the labs have human transmissible bird flu. Uh, there was a case of airborne transmissible Ebola among a certain a set of monkeys in Reston. All you've got to do is look up Reston Ebola and you will see that. Uh, I actually was working in and out of Reston at that time when all that was happening. I was like, ooh, you know, it's back in the old space station days when it was space station freedom before it became the international space station. There is an interesting video of a researcher talking about Ebola. Uh -huh. And he uh, was having an argument with Sanjay Gupta on CNN. This is when we had the Ebola scare. Uh -huh. And he said, we're lucky right now, but this is going to go airborne. And Sanjay Gupta, he's a, neuro, he's a neurosurgeon. Um, and he goes, well, we don't have any evidence of that. He's <sighs> saying, it's going to happen. Trust me. And he's one of those research sites. See, this was the battle between the research medicine versus the, the clinician right. or the surgeon. And, and it's, you know, here we go. Here we go. And, you know, he was just saying, well, there's no evidence of that. Well, you know, there is. You can, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's, it happened. It happened yeah. like over 20 years ago. So it's just a matter you know, of, I see this, I see this as the similar kind of mindset that we had in NASA with the uh, O-ring for the shuttle, you know, and they go, well, we, we haven't had an O-ring blow yet, you know, with have a catastrophic failure. Right. And, you know, and it just so happened on a, I think it was, in, it was in January and January, you know, uh, you know, um, uh, winter day, you know, that O-ring was frozen and it didn't seal right and it blew up and people have this hubris that they think they know. They're afraid to say, you know, they, they're afraid to imagine some of the complications that can arise with complex systems. And, um, and they just let it, you know, go up because it was delayed. If, if my memory serves me right, you know, this is back in 1986. Yeah. You know, so, um, you know, it was a delay, 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 and then they, you know, wanted to launch it and then it blew up. So it, it, to take it to the Ebola thing, um, complex systems can evolve into unpredictable ways. And these quote experts have a tendency to stick in their, you know, stick their head in, you know, with, with dogma. And they have and, a perspective. Right. They don't, they, you know, they, they fail to imagine the possibilities. And, you know, these, these, these tail end of the distribution type of events, when they do occur, can be very catastrophic. <laughs> And then see, there, therein lies the strength of a polymath individual, somebody who is widely versed in a new number of different fields and sciences, who actually has some degree of speciality in some few of them, such as yourself. And, you know, I, you know, I can be accused of such myself. We can connect dots. We can see things that other people can't see. I do that all the time. I do that in my job. I find failure points that a lot of people just can't, can't see. I can see how things will fail and bring it up and show that this is a valid root cause for a major failure and how this can propagate. I do that. And, I, and when I uncover it, I have 
full armies of people stepping in fetching like their uh, hairs on the ki- uh, fire and their rear ends are catching, you know, like <laughs> from the song. <laughs> right, right. But, you know, it's kind of entertaining to watch this uh, transpire and these people will work on, you know, trying to resolve these issues for a year or two sometimes. But, you know, it's, it's the ability to connect the dots, to see the bigger picture. And most people have a hard time with it because they're so highly specialized. It's important to have degrees of speciality so that you can understand the depths of given uh, specific certain subject matters. But you need to be able to back off and, and see the big picture. At least some of us. You, you have to have some people that can do that. And I think that's where you shine. I think that's where I shine is that we can see how things interconnect, what can happen, where it mm-hmm. can be. And if you understand things like geometric progression, if you understand what does it mean when you got a disease spreading uh, by people who are asymptomatic for three months with a high R0 value where the infectivity is high? It means you can have an explosion on the surface of the carpet and then suddenly one day the whole carpet's on fire. And you go, where did that come from? And that's what I fear right now is that we are about to have our carpet catch on fire and people go, gee whiz, where did that come from? Uh, so what are you thinking in terms of, I can say, I, I think, I don't know if we'll go quite to the uh, level that uh, the Chinese did in uh, the, the Hubei province uh, with uh, Wuhan. Uh, I don't think that's part of the American culture, although we may, we may have to. Um, to stop the spread, you've got to stop the connectivity. The people interfacing with people has got to be slowed down. That's what, that's the conduit. You know, you, you, going back to electrical equations, you want to raise uh, resistivity as much as possible or give you if you want to really stop the flow of current open the circuit <laughs> mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. that's what the Chinese attempted to do but they couldn't open the circuit entirely they just created a lot of resistance uh, so they're telling us that they have no more cases new cases that everything is flattened out I don't buy that because I know their other game the problem in China is that they've committed economic suicide essentially, and they've got to keep the country running to some degree or the whole thing will implode. The people will overthrow the government. The government uh, first and foremost intends to survive if nothing else does. They intend to survive and, and enhance their position of power at all costs. That's what a government does, especially an authoritarian government. Uh, so, they're in a balancing that between over here, they, they got to keep it contained so that everybody don't die off, but they don't want the economy to die off. So they have to uh, relax the containment to enable this to, c- to continue. But the more they, they go back to building the economy, the worse this gets. So they, they got to have a balance point in here and they probably don't know where it is. They'll probably adjust it and move it around, but they can't afford for the country to, to just die out, but they can't afford for their economy to die out. So they're going to be swinging around here but it may never get back to where it was. We're going to see supply chain disruptions. Uh, we're going to see a lot of problems. And I think we're going to enter a new economy. I think it's got problems, but it's also got opportunities. I'm, going to, I'm planning to do a video series starting the next week or so where I'm going to talk about this from a uh, standpoint of how you live, how you survive and thrive under this kind of environment, and how you find the opportunities therein how you make the most of it. You know, when serve lemons, make lemonade. How, you know, I'm not at all celebrating this in no way. But on the other hand, it could force us to do some things that we should have ought to done in the first place. I think that this whole idea of a central economy and the, the, the continued globalization and centralization of all our economic systems 
is just fundamentally flawed and wrong. It's not sustainable. They tell us they're doing this for the purpose of sustainability. They're telling us they're doing this to enhance the environment. I will tell you, it's exactly the wrong thing to do. All the international trade, you know, what they, they do is they tell us how to restrict our lives here in this country, but we have these big cargo ships steaming across the ocean back and forth, burning the lowest grade oil that you can imagine, which really dirties the environment more than anything we're doing here. They have uh, the, the factories that are working overseas burn the lowest uh, grades of coal. The, um, uh, but moreover, it's just the long supply chains. It's the fragility of the system. It's the centralization. They like that because centralization equals control. But the true resiliency, the true way to promote uh, better stewardship of the environment is localization and decentralization. It is to have people uh, buy in local, buy in from local producers, to have independent producers, to have a multitude of producers. There builds in your redundancy. That gives you all kinds of redundancies, resiliency, uh, and it's better for the environment because you're not trucking stuff all over the world. For food, you get a higher nutrition value from something bought local than something stored for a long time. And also, food that has to be shipped and stored for a long time is developed. Like certain vegetables are developed and promoted for the storability, the sustainability on the shelf. They're not always the best tasting or the most nutritious vegetable you could have. If you buy from a local farmer, he can bring you a wider uh, degree of, of flavors. And, 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 and different texture, more nutritive uh, value in your food. Ah, and if you grow for yourself, you enhance it even farther. I would submit everyone should try to grow as much as they can themselves. Uh, you can even grow indoors in your living room. I've got videos in the minute with microgreens. And microgreens give you uh, up to 40 times more nutrition, nutritional value uh, per ounce than does regular vegetables. That said, you can get a lot of bang for your buck. And you can grow a lot of greens in a small area if you go back with those old videos. And a good source for that is True Leaf Market. I have an affiliate program with True Leaf Market. And you can check the links under many of my videos. Uh, I'll try to get some under this one also. For True Leaf Market, prepwithgreg.com. Or if you want to buy worms, uh, you can I'll have a link for my uh, worm site also. So that's the, the, the thing is that we need to decentralize our systems. We need to build resiliency in. We need to have, uh, that's the greatest true movement. They want to basically take people off the land and they have this program called Forever Wild. Well, that's not gonna really help the, the nature if people uh, are not gonna respect that because we're gonna have basically machines and robots out there farming and, and feeding everybody franken food and God knows what they're really gonna be doing out there in the environment. We won't even be able to see it. Uh, if you've got people that believe in stewardship, if you have small farmers, small growers operating, you're going to see a dramatic change in how we operate as a society. And some people, Greg, it's unsustainable, you can't grow enough food. My friends, I've already done videos on the DeVace family. We produce six to 7,000 uh, pounds of food for on a tenth of an acre. They feed a family of four adults and they also sell from that and make a living from it. It's not a great living. But because, you know, it's just a tenth of an acre and they're dividing it four ways and now three because the father's passed. But they do amazingly well and they're a well-adjusted family. Now, if you take that and extrapolate it over the 42 to 47 million acres of lawns in North America, just from our lawns, we can feed two billion people. So these people that tell us, oh, we have too many people, we have this, we have, they're, they're full of hogwash. It's not true. 
it was mm -hmm. just that we're not living in the proper way. And that's one of the things I want to do is to start taking my channel toward the direction of how do we have a more sustainable level, producible society? How can we move forward and advance humanity and live in harmony with nature without all this centralization and control? Because I tell people the goal of my channel is to help you survive, thrive, and stay out of the hive. And it's right the opposite of where uh, others would like to take us. But we've got to get through these things like what's in front of us now with COVID-19. But there does lie in the, prop, uh, the, the opportunity that we can use this to figure out how we do added manufacturing from the home, how we make a living from our homes, the things that we can do more and more in a decentralized manner that can radically change how we live as a society, make us more resilient, make the individuals more independent, and give them more pride and their ability to sustain and maintain themselves and, and, and really change the dynamic of society in a positive manner. So you can always take something and make good from it if, if you really have the impetus and the wisdom to do that. And that's what I really hope to do here, Paul. And you know, I'm looking for guys like you and other uh, people that are family of YouTube channels that are out here trying to promote this stuff that we can work together toward these goals. My followers and my subscribers are definitely tuned in with that. They, they really support that line of thinking. So like I said, I'm here to be proactive. Uh, yeah, I will tell you to take, you know, the right kind of nutrients. I will tell you to, to prep and buy beans, but I'll also, and, and I'll tell you to, to, to take uh, personal protective equipment and use it, but I want to be more proactive. I want to, I want us to have a better world. And what I want to have is a society that on the other side of it hits the fan, that we can stand up and shake it off and build a better world. I, I totally agree with you. I mean, it's, I, I, I really do. You know, I'm all about that stereolithography, you know, concept of, of, of manufacturing. Yeah. Um, when I was in engineering, we called it stereolithography, you know, right. not 3D printing or additive manufacturing, but, you know, but MIT um, has really dived into this a lot on, you know, how to, how to make this more localization versus, you know, globalization. Um, I just find it really um, odd that Jack Welsh, who was the globalist that, you know, the icon from GE for shareholder maximum, maximization, um, he was the MBA to emulate. All right. Everyone that was going to MBA school, they wanted to emulate Jack Welsh. Mm -hmm. Well, he just recently died at age 86, I think it was. But it just, it, it's just odd that as we talk about localization versus globalization and the need for sustainability and local manufacturing and the fragility of these global networks that he promoted, all right, and the MBA, you know, there was schools promoted and, you know, I got an MBA and, you know, that's what they told us, right? Um, we're, that pendulum is moving towards localization to reduce that fragility. Mm. Um, it yeah. makes more sense. It makes more sense in so many, in so many arenas, but I also, um, I also see a localization of, of medicine, mm -hmm. uh, customized medicine, precision medicine. Well, with added manufacturing, um, you have some capabilities there, but also I see more, uh, you know, what, what we've not done is fully investigated what herbs can do for us. There's powerful, uh, uh, things that we can get from our family of herbs. And if you are 
I am a futurist. I mean, I'm sitting here as a Green Greg's worm farmer and, and prepper and gardener on the Green Greg's channel, but I come from a background of futurism and space development. And I have another sister channel called Galactic Greg's. I'm going to mention again in a second. But um, if you're in a space habitat, which is a miniature version of Earth, and this applies to Earth at, at large too, really and truly is you're taking medicines and things that, uh, that, that you don't metabolize fully and, and they're coming out of your kidneys and going back to the environment, you're wrecking havoc upon your environment with these medicinals. If you have natural medicinals that break down, it's far better for the environment. If you're living in a very small environment of a space habitat with a closed loop life uh, support system, that is a huge problem. It's a problem on Earth with our large life support system, ecological life support system. But the more you can use natural substances that break down naturally, the better you are. Uh, and furthermore, uh, you can grow these. You don't need a factory. You don't need uh, an expensive chemical. Well, here's product. here's the, here's the here's it's a it's a change in mindset. I see farming and manufacturing as the same thing. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. You know, and a lot of people think that manufacturing, is, you know, it's this, uh, it's this mechanized, you know, thing. No, manufacturing is about uh, production of something. You know, it's it, and how the means of production they're they're it's varied, but farming and manufacturing to me is they fit hand in hand. I mean. <laughs> Henry Ford was a farmer, you know, before he made the Model T, you know, so, you know, a lot of these, you know, homegrown car companies came off of farms, mm -hmm. you know, some of the best engineers that I ever known have been, you know, from a rural community. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, so I, 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 I see farming and manufacturing as just one thing. Yeah, they make different types of products, but it's like, so it's the mindset. It's the mindset. We have this mindset that farmers are uneducated or, or you know, they can't talk or can't read. And that's totally <laughs> untrue. You know, it's totally untrue. I did untrue. a video about Mike Blimmersberger's. Right. Right. You okay. noticed how he didn't last for, he didn't last for very long on that stage. <laughs> I mean, he was just totally killed on, on, that, on, that, on that debate stage. He, he didn't have the charisma. He didn't have the charisma to be president. He barely had the charisma to be be the mayor of New York, but he had the money to be the mayor of New York, um, and the connections because of of, of his company and you know, headquartered in New York. But um, yeah, I, I I agree with you. It's it's about localization and it's about you know looking at these as opportunities. Yeah, um, still, I think we still need connectivity. I think the internet is a tool that can be used for good or bad but it definitely enables us to do this. It enables a lot of work at home opportunities that we didn't used to have, which I think is really great because I don't think the office space that we have today is good. I think that we could eliminate it and eliminate a lot of overhead, eliminate a lot of transportation costs, eliminate a lot of uh, uh, energy utilization, the, 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 what we're doing to our highways, we can lessen the burden on them. If we do more work from home or additive manufacturing, you're not gonna need as many distributed systems and utilities, except you'll probably need more internet. <laughs> so the so there will still be manufacturing, there'll still be factories, and there will still be some centralized systems uh, in a world like that. But I do think that we need to decentralize as much as we can to build in resiliency a more localized uh, approach to how we live as a society, more communities, 
there's a lot, if, if we form in communities and if we don't have to move around and people become communities the way that we used to have, communities were like extended families. There were, you had a lot of friendships and people cooperating and helping each other out and, and kids would develop affinities for the neighbors and you wouldn't do something stupid. Not, you might be mad at your parents where you would have done something stupid, but that neighbor that you're so close to, you wouldn't want them looking down on you. Uh, so uh, that neighbor might've been uh, like a virtual aunt or uncle to you. And of course there is extended families that could reform uh, and have the backbone and the, the, the uh, buttress that our kids don't have today. And so our society wouldn't be drifting and, and, and you know, open loop as it is right now. If you know control systems, uh, Paul, you know what I'm talking about when I talk about an open loop system, it's out of control. Mm -hmm. And that's the way our kids are growing up today is they don't have that foundation. They don't have the grounding they don't have that to fall back on. They're raising themselves. It's like being raised by wolves. They're, they're, the gangs are raised. And that's the only family some of them have. And that's a tragedy because they can have so much better lives and, and, and get the encouragement and the nurturing that they need. They do need some tough love and people need to return to that idea. As, as somebody as a farmer, I can talk that no end. I've done a video on that, but, we can turn our society around and build a better society. I'm totally convinced of that. And it doesn't have to depopulate as a lot of the powers that be claim. I don't think that, you know, if you look at Western society like Japan, United States, if it wasn't for immigration, our population would be in free fall. We may have to do things to maintain our population at some point. Uh, <clears throat> once society gets to this level of existence and comfort that I'm talking about, and I'm talking about living, at a standard of living, probably better than what we have today, but doing it in a way that has almost no impact on the environment. And I'm not promoting that from the standpoint of carbon. It would have that effect. We may have to burn coal fields just to keep the world from freezing. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, let me, let, me, let me unpack some of the things that you said that is really important here. Mindset in the United States, at least, I'm not so sure in Asia, probably in Asia too, but let's just focus on the United States. The mindset for the last couple decades, at least, has been quick buck. And, you know, get rich quick. They don't want to work. And the things that you're talking about are, are in, investing in your local community, your, your own household. And then once it's built up, um, it's self-sustaining. What really impresses me with uh, Diamond and Opperheimer Ranch is this holistic approach to the project. Um, the geothermal, you know, stuff that he's doing. I mean, it's just, it's really cool. I mean, you know, from an engineering perspective, you look at what he's doing. It's it, the adding in the, the, uh, the agricultural aspect to it with, the, the, you know, the thermal energy. And all. it's really interesting what he's doing. But it takes time to build. Oh, you yeah. have to build it. Oh, and yeah. The, yeah. The, so the majority of the people, it's ingenious what he's doing. But the but the but, the, but um, majority of the people out there, um, they're they are a, a convenient, they have a convenient mentality. They want the can the can of soup, they don't want to make the soup. They right. they don't want everything has to be in convenience, and then when they're going through their education, it's about you know, for me, I, I, I did a lot of education to learn, really to learn. It wasn't about a job. See, right now, what people are doing is, is that they translate education as a job, not education as learning 
and that educational learning process is lifelong. So they're, they're so they're focused on this money, economic, quick buck. And it's, they've, they've and when you couple that with being detached from nature and you're living in this, you know, more techno, uh, uh, technocratic, um, uh, a society, uh, you, you lose balance. You don't, you don't have, you're not, you're not with nature and the cycles of things. When you're growing something, when I had the little garden that we, we had a 25 by 25 foot garden in, in Michigan when I was living in Michigan. And so we, you know, we had quite a bit of produce that, that, you know, we canned and, and, and froze. But, um, I miss that because I was in tune with nature. I saw the cycles. I went out in the morning and I watered the garden. I don't have that in Manhattan, you know? Right. So, you know, so a lot of people that are living like I am right now, you know, in the big city um, or don't grow a garden in suburbia, they're not as in tune with nature as they should be. So uh, to, to, people's mindsets have to change to get mm-hmm. to this sustainability concept. They have to be willing to work, willing to put in the sweat equity, willing to have patience and wait. And once you start seeing what you're building, uh, uh, producing what it was designed to, then you, then you, you know, um, you know, can, can benefit. But a lot of people don't have that long-term vision. And like I said, you know, people like you that are, you know, doing the, you know, actually doing what you're preaching, uh, you know, and, and, you know, and, and, and building this kind of infrastructure on your own land um, yeah, and diamond right. and, yeah, and, sure. and, and, and diamond, you know, with the Oppenheimer ranch. I mean, sure. you know, this is, this is what you guys are doing, what you and diamond are doing is the future. Oh yeah. I, I really, that's why I like diamond. He does it. He talks, you know, it's one thing to talk the talk, but you got to walk the walk. And he mm-hmm. is out there with his uh, greenhouse, with his barn, with his, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's got a lot of water. He's got that thermal greenhouse. He's got uh, right. a lot of stuff he's doing. And he's doing his, uh, also his, uh, uh, what do you call it? Earthship house he's building. So my mm-hmm. concept is something like an earthship on storage. You can see behind me here, I'm doing power grid. Uh, and when I'm surfing here, uh, video, but I'm sitting next to my solar panels that I built for my greenhouse. And those are solar thermal water heaters, by the way. And I have an aquaponics system in my greenhouse, and that's a very science technical production means of growing things. There are some videos down here on my microgreens as I'm going way back. You know, so if, if people want to see all the videos on the channel just for the watcher, just click videos up here and you can see. Uh, and if you scroll down, sometimes you have to click more. It just depends on what browser you're looking in, if you can see them all. But you can see I do videos on gardening, indoors, outdoors. Uh, aquaponics, the worms, the uh, let's see, there's the home that the video uni- survival communities and universal habitats. And I think this is a joint program I did with Rex. I probably should redo that in a program dedicated specifically to that topic. And here's a video I did about the human hive soon to arrive. And I've got a lot of videos in here. Tough love down there. Um, mm-hmm. The tribes stuff I'm talking about. This is where I'm in Arizona. Some of these videos here, Rex and I out in LA. <laughs> uh, 
So uh, yeah, I cover a lot of different things here and prepping topics. Here I am talking about hunting silently. I'm out with a blowgun. Uh, I used to do a lot of blowgun stuff and I've just started back on that. That was actually the first time I was out shooting them again. This is my video with Mike Maybe, Command Sergeant Major Mike Maybe, that I would uh, encourage people to watch. Uh, I have a, I have a, I have a, a story, just a real quick story. When yeah. I was, when I was uh, in undergrad, I was dorming down at Wayne State in Detroit. That my my undergrad's from Wayne State University, okay. so uh, the university is in in Detroit, Michigan. Uh -huh. So back then, back then, this was 1990, and it was it, it, some of Detroit was still kind of shady, you know, the, oh, yeah. uh, right off of campus. So we had an apartment. They didn't have a lot of dorms uh, on campus. So I was I was renting an apartment um, with some other students. Who, uh, it was like a 19, 1920, um, you know, pre-war apartment. It was on the fourth floor. And uh, in the alley is where you park your car. Well, there were lots of, you know, uh, individuals trying to steal cars. So how we protected our cars was we would open up the window and we had a slingshot with marbles. <laughs> and we literally shot the people with, with marbles with our slingshot to, to, to protect our cars. And so, I mean, and that's a true story. I mean, that's how we, that's, you know, instead of shooting them with a gun, we shot them with, with marbles, with a slingshot. And, and, you know, and you know that the velocity of those marbles can, you know, oh, they, they're pretty, they, they, they hurt. They could, you know, break bone if you hit them oh, yeah. the right way. Oh, yeah. You know, so, really good with yeah, yeah. But, I mean, they stopped doing it. They stopped stealing the cars or breaking into the cars, you know, because they would either steal the car or, they, you know, steal, you know, steal the radio or whatever. But, um, uh but you know that's that's just a little story that most people don't know about. <laughs> totally understand. We, we could go on with a lot of little stories. Maybe we should have a session one day talking about AI. We've touched on that in the past, I believe. AI, transhumanism, and machine hmm? yeah, sure. sense—that kind of thing. Because you've worked AI, I've done computer engineering and software programmer. Uh, hmm. I'm working with avionics right now, so it's just uh, we're, we're both from that school of thoughts so, I mean, we could have a lot of fun on the video on that one day for it when we have something to talk about besides the coronavirus <laughs> right. but this is a major topic so all right we've covered most of the waterfront i wanted to talk about we've you know kind of talked about you we've talked about the rate of expansion what do you see a timetable for lockdowns for quarantines in the united states do you think they would be entirely a uh, voluntary self-quarantine that would have, or that would might have the same effects as, uh, to some degree, as a major quarantine in terms of product availabilities, or do you see a, like, Italy is having a forced quarantine right now, 16 million people. I kind of think we may find ourselves in that uh, category. What do you foresee and when do you foresee it? All right, I think it's a spectrum. It's not binary. Um, we have the primary, secondary, and tertiary uh, quarantine systems already um, um, discussed, uh, you know, by the government. Mm -hmm. uh, the tertiary is the military. Mm -hmm. We already have seen uh, throughout the week, uh, last week, um, military movement in the United States. Mm -hmm. so, you know, and that's that's widely published. So um, they are already geared up for a tertiary quarantine i do see um once that the medical community is starts to break down 
And across the country, it's not going to break down at the same time. So people got to realize that it's not the whole country is going to be in quarantine. Oh yeah, right? it's going to be, going to be regions. Like at first, in, it's in going to California. be regions, right? New York, exactly. where you're at. Exactly, exactly. So you know, uh, but there will be, especially in New York, when we do the quarantine in New York, you're talking about quarantining about 8.6 million people. All right, that's gonna that's happen? gonna that's gonna happen. Well, I oh, may not have a choice. I mean, I, I might not have a choice. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, like for example, if you have someone in your building. You know, we have in this building that I'm in, I'm on the 10th floor and we have uh, 32 floors. Okay. Wow. So we have 900 units in this building. All you need is one person sick with COVID-19 and everyone living in the building is quarantined. Cannot move. That's how it works. Oh, right. you're, you're destined to be so, quarantined. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, the probability is, is that, you know, a lot of people in New York are going to be quarantined, all right? Well, and you, we already you have. You just told me in 18 months, you just told me in 18 months, you expect 50% of the people to have some variety of this coronavirus. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and here's the worry. Here's the worry is what happens when you have the secondary or tertiary wave. That's you get quarantined the first wave, the second wave, and the third wave. You might as well, how do you, how do you, how do you, you know, how do you pay your bills? I mean, if you can't do, you know, tell ah, that's what I'm going to be talking about, Paul. That's going to be the subject of my future videos. How do you pay your bills? How do you live? How do you make a living? I am going to do a whole series of videos where, where we drill in on those topics. Mm -hmm. That is my plan. I've already discussed it a little bit, but I'm, I'm planning just to do a whole series and that'd be the topic of it. And I plan to have guest hosts uh, from, Maybe people like yourself, possibly even other preppers and urban farmers and different people to look at various aspects of that. So you, you'll see the series roll out here really soon. I hope you find it interesting. I'm going to share my screen again. So let's it would be it. nice to do like a three panel. Yeah, we might do that. So let's go back here to uh, uh, we were talking earlier about the uh, spectrum of fatalities and numbers and case fatality rates. Uh, if we think about this is the first pass. This is what a lot of people don't understand. This is our first pass at it. And we're talking the WHO says we have, have a case fatality rate, which is some big global uh, number that I don't know what it really means. We're saying 3.4%, which is very high, very high, especially considering that the garden flu is, uh, you know, down here like this, half of this is you know, 0.1%, which is one in a thousand. So to have a case fatality rate uh, uh, that uh, buckets up into a mean of 3.4 is extremely high. However, we have to remember that with the Spanish flu, when it's first go around, it was down here. It was like the garden variety flu. It was mm -hmm. the second go around that was really bad. This is the first pass on this. We have no idea what a second, third, or fourth pass may look like. I have heard some people talk about this thing being around for five years since we don't have any natural immunity to it at this point. I have no idea, that's conjecture, I admit that. And so, so don't say, Greg, cite your sources, it don't matter, it's conjecture, but it could happen. It's possible given our lack of immunity. I do think in some ways, we're all today like the natives of Native America when the Europeans came here. Today, we're all natives to this thing worldwide. You gotta remember that the thing that decimated the native populations in North America and the Pacific Islands and around the world was the diseases for which they had no immunity to. 
Uh, and again, it was smallpox. Smallpox is a really bad disease. It's hopefully a lot worse than this to us. But there may be other things out there. So this, you know, really demands that we really look at how we live. But again, this is the first pass. The next pass could possibly be much worse. Now, don't quote me as having said that. I'm speculating, but this is a speculation based in historical model because it's already happened. And I just lost my way back to that one, I guess. Okay. So I'll shut that window down. And I think we're getting pretty close to being wrapped up here. Paul, is there anything you would like to say that we've not covered? Well, you know, just to, to, to quickly iterate this, um, this, this first pass idea, it's possible that the second wave we get gain of function, especially with the spike protein. Yeah. But it's also possible that we lose function yeah. and it's attenuated. Yeah. So we just don't know. And until we, you know, and here, when people say cite your sources, people need to realize when you're on the battlefield, when you're at, the, when you're at something that's new, there's, there's this, this spectrum of research, case study, all right, or, you know, one-offs. Peer review, there is no peer you review. Know, you know, right, right. And, you know, so it, sometimes you start your research in a very um, qualitative way. It's qualitative research. And then as you build up samples, then you can start moving towards the quantitative. See, people think that science is only quantitative. No, science is also qualitative oh, yeah. because you may only have case studies to work with. And when you're dealing with something new, a new phenomena, um, you have to live in the qualitative realm for a while until you have enough data to use statistical analysis to be in the quantitative world. And the, you know, people that have dealt with real research understands this, this uh, movement from the qualitative world into the quantitative world. So these people that are just focused on state your sources, I need more, you know, I, I, I wanna see this, you know, a, uh, a, a strong power value in your, in your statistical analysis, you can't do that until later, right? These numbers, so, these numbers that we're basing this off of are all questionable at this point. Right, right, uh, right. The, the, yeah. the very basis for the data is shaky. It's not good. There's no peer review process that's had time to operate because this is all brand new. Uh, so in, in, in a sense, it's we're- the fog of war. It's what I call the fog of war, right? Amen, amen. So when we started this out, uh, the total case, confirmed case for um, for the United States was 474. I did an update and increased by 10. Now, we've been going a fair little bit of time since then. This is the longest program I've ever recorded. So hopefully uh, we keep people this long. We'll have to, we'll, it may be down to 10 or 15%, but the people that follow this video this long will be really, truly interested. They're going to be the hardcore uh, subscribers who really want to know this information, but I will like but, to. But to prove, but to prove that they, 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 but to prove to see if they actually listen to the whole video, mm -hmm. I want them to comment in the comment section that I like French press coffee. <laughs> okay. They, it, all right. So if they comment that I like French press coffee, then you know that they got to this. Bingo! There we go. So if you're listening, tell us <laughs> you like French press coffee. And the rest of yours would be go, what? <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> the Paul and I will know what you mean. <laughs> Perfect. I have planted some seeds like that. That's a really good one. So uh, let's do the, the update here to see where we're at in the United States right now. Started at 474. What? We've been on talking almost three hours here. So that's the whole world. U.S. Whoa, whoa, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. We're at oh. five. Yes. Yeah, see, see, this is. Yeah, just so this no is time flat yeah this is Sunday. this is my this is my point is we are, are going to be in we yeah no we are going to be in the thousands by the end of the week wow i'm telling oh, the, you we, the, the polls like, are closed right now i mean the, the, a lot of doctors offices i said polls i mean right. a lot of doctors offices you know and we don't know what's in the queue we don't we don't know what the lag is when they're compiling these numbers so i just like but we are in the thousands and you know, once you're in the thousands, you're gonna ra rapidly. It's gonna, it, it, it's gonna tear through the economy. It's so, not so just, yes. it's not just the infection, but it's how contagious will this be for the economy? Right. Absolutely. Even if the disease isn't to be worried about, as some people think, it's going to wreck the economy. Just if everything to return to normal right now. The supply chain disruptions that are already in place and in gear moving toward us from Japan, China having shut down for two months is going to hit us. Even if mm -hmm. they could magically restart everything tomorrow morning, the disruptions are like a wave that's out at sea that are heading our way. They're going to hit us. It's going to have an impact on our economy. The, the reverberation of what's happening right now will echo for six months. Oh, yeah. Economically. And I think and it's the worse the worse the worse this gets, the worse that echo will be. And if the epidemiological curves of the Spanish flu are uh, are the analog to what we have today, then we can take eighteen months and we can say that there is an economic effect for three years. I would expect this could initiate a Great Depression, just given the fact that. Well, I I agree with you on that. I mean, I've so, been I've been stating on my channel that the 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 stock market depression. will sell off, will sell off forty percent well, from the high. You're going to get a huge devaluation of things because people aren't earning money. They don't have money. Money will evaporate. It will disappear, and people will sell high value dollars items for cheap because they're trying to just get a little bit of money. That's how you wind up with the with huge deflation with a depression. Uh, that in a back in the depression era, that happened. That things had been worth this, and then boom, you couldn't get any money for anything. I mean, people were selling anything for nothing. People used to trade a farm for a shotgun. Uh, there's no one in. There's no one living in the United States, let alone the world, that remembers the Spanish flu nor the Great Depression. Oh, my dad remembers the Great Depression. My dad remembers the Great Depression well. Yeah, my dad's like seven, really? He was nine year old when it started, or eight. So uh, he remembers it well. He remembers before the Great Depression. He can remember the difference, and he's actually spoke to that on my video. Okay, so he remembers the Great Depression, but he yeah. he wouldn't remember. He he wouldn't know the Spanish flu. No, that's but here, he yeah, but so there's, there's ninety. Okay, so, yeah, so there's, there's not that many people in the United States that are at that age. That's true. So All right. if you think about having started the, the, uh, this program with 474 and went to 42 additional cases, that's almost a 10% increase in confirmed cases on a Sunday during the course of the conversation. Mm -hmm. We're going to see thousands. Yeah. 
in this in this in this country in a very short amount of time, and it's going to jump up to tens of thousands. So, my friends, subscribers, as I've mentioned before, you know, the time to prepare. You should have been prepared long ago. <laughs> you know, I, I've mentioned this in a few videos. If you're not prepared, run, get prepared. Don't panic. Just get it done. Uh, you know, like our old good buddy used to say, get it done. So that's right. what you can do. You don't need to waste time anymore. Go out and if you can still get to the Costco and if they still have beans and rice and, and toilet paper, you might want to get some. You may not be able to get out really soon. Oh, uh, what what I mentioned, I think it was on your show. Um, I said that there's there's a couple psychological barriers. There's the hundred mark barrier where anything that was under a hundred, people weren't too worried, and then they would start to be concerned. Then once you hit the thousand mark barrier, people are going to start getting you know concerned, very concerned. Once you hit the ten thousand barrier, you're going to have pandemonium. Okay, this is just a few days ago where we were in the tens. Now we're mm. in the hundreds. And we went up the course of this call as many people cases as we had uh, just a few days ago. Right. So and, and, and so last week we didn't have the Costco, you know, sell offs. Right. And the shortages, you know, now we're having the shortages at Costco and that's in what I call the worry phase. All right. Or the concern, well, I should say the concern phase, the hundred to a thousand is the concern phase, the worry uh, it depends on how you use the word, but, but when you're really concerned after you hit the thousand, you're going to start seeing a lot of product being sold very quickly because everyone's going to start hoarding between a thousand to 10,000 cases. And, yeah, and, we're gonna be and there. you're going to have, be, you're going to have, a thousand once we hit, within a week, yeah, within well, a few yeah, days, yeah, we're just a few yeah, days. Yeah, from a thousand. yeah. we're probably going to see that uh, on Tuesday. I but, wouldn't be surprised uh, at all. So people need to, right now go ahead and put in those orders you know go to prepwithgreg.com you know and, and get that long-term food storage get the water purifiers get the things that you need to protect yourselves i'd say first and foremost buy the beans and rice that you can get at your local store your first ten dollars next ten dollars if you still got that you know or 100 200 go go to prepwithgreg.com go to true leaf market and get seeds seeds are going to be very important heirloom seeds i'm going to do a video on the uh, uh, on seeds and survival. I'm going to call it the seeds of survival. And it's going to be a story about the Native Americans on the Trail of Tears at, at its heart. But it's going to have applicability to you today. And let's see. So I think we're about done here. We've gone really long with this. Uh, this is my longest recording and you know, since I've had this channel. So let's see if we've had any uptick just since we had the last one in the United States. So uh, go down here. Yeah, look at that. 534, 534. It was just 516. Paul, <laughs> oh, yeah. a couple of minutes ago, it was 516. <laughs> yeah, so we're, we're in a, you know, we're just it was waiting. 516 we had, a few minutes ago. Just yeah, right. a couple once of we get, ago. once we get, and this is wow. indicative of getting the t test kits available, and not all the places have test kits. Oh, once they do, and they start having the 1,000 throughput a day for testing. You're going to start seeing pandemonium once they hit the ten thousand mark. Mark my oh, words. Well, this and you're talking about the course of this this meeting is expanding. Well, the, the rate the rate is going to be. Remember what I said that we have thousands of cases in the United States right now. We're confirming them now because they're now finally testing. So yeah, we're going to see a start. huge. The, the, so you're going to see the second derivative here, pretty large. 
Oh yeah. You know, the acceleration, you know, but once they, you know, once everyone, you know, uh, uh, once we have a lot of our, 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 uh, um, primary testing done, then that second derivative is going to start to, de you know, decelerate. Um, but I, you're going to see where the pandemonium is going to hit once we hit 10,000. Well, Paul, I'm going to have to do a few prep things. I, I've got a worm harvest running right now. I got some things I got to do for that. It's going to take a while for this video to upload. It's going to be a fair size video. And by the time that it's uploaded, I ask people to go check this number on their own websites. And you might be astonished. I'm expecting it's just going to continue to grow. And this is really indicative of the situation we're in. It, it underlines everything that Paul and I are telling you. You know, we're not out here just blowing smoke. This is a very infective uh, disease. It's, it's running and it's burning underneath the carpet where you can't see it and moving, but it's about to start surfacing. We're going to see more and more, but for every case they confirm, even when it's in the thousands, just know this, there's lots more out there because people are walking around asymptomatic, spreading it for three weeks. It's going to be everywhere soon. It's going to be on that pump at the gas station. It's going to be on the keypad at the ATM machine or the gas station. Those little pins that you, when you put in your credit cards and you pick them up and sign with them in the stores, everyone always going to have a coronavirus on it. Uh, well, COVID-19, not just any coronavirus, the COVID will be there. It will be everywhere. It'll be on the door handles, in the bathrooms, on the sinks, in the faucets, on the walls. So you've got to start having your immune system up as strong as you can get it. And you're going to have to wear some gloves, use tissue paper, holding these things, whatever you can do to maintain your own safety so that you can survive, thrive, and stay out of the hive and do that for your family. So we got a lot more to talk about on this. Uh, yeah, this is something to be concerned with. My friends, I will start a new series soon talking about this and how we're going to live with it. And you'll see it come out really soon. Uh, Paul, you're a champion, you're a hero, you're a patriot. You know, a lot of people throw all kind of junk out there and I'm sure I'm gonna catch it for, for this video too, but so be it. Because what they gotta see is what's in our heart. You know, what's in our heart is we're here trying to inform people. What's in our heart is we're pushing for transparency. Some people think, oh, he's a globalist shield because they don't pull off any esoteric little tidbit they want to. Maybe because when we were pointing and saying, oh, you know, okay, we did this with our hand. Like, oh, he's a, he's a, he's a Illuminati. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, my nice. friends, if we were out here part of that system, we wouldn't be talking anti-globalism. We wouldn't be talking localization. We wouldn't be talking about resiliency. We wouldn't be talking about transparency. Right. We wouldn't be talking about things that you can do to take care of yourself. We would be say, go to the WHO site, go here, follow the authorities, line up and do what you're supposed to do. Be a little robot. <laughs> we don't do yeah. that. We're here to right. help you. That's, exactly. you know, I got a, a worm harvest going today and it's a major thing for them. We got a lot of work to do and I'm taking a lot of time out of that to do this. And I do that for you. And that's why Paul is here. We are trying to help you. So please pay attention. Open your eyes. If you're not aware, get aware. Prepare. And now, if you've never done it in your life, now is the time to have your eyes wide open and head on a swivel. Because this ain't the only thing coming at us, my friend. We live in a world where a lot of stuff's headed at us real fast. And you better be aware to prepare. So 
Paul, I'm on a end recorded session here. We can chat for a minute if you'd like to. I'm going to end the share first. Open it up. Parting word. Parting word. Yeah. You um, that you like. Yeah. Right. I mean, just thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Paul, it's great having you on the program. I really appreciate it. We have some uh, great conversations. I wish that we could find better times to have engaging, interesting conversations on because uh, I, I like the way you think. You've got a great background, uh, multidisciplinary uh, involvement, a lot of stuff. And there's plenty we could talk about outside of the world of COVID, but right now this is the gorilla in the room. So thanks for coming into the room and sharing your perspective with the followers of the Green Greg's channel. And I thank those of you that have stuck here for a long time. And what did you tell them to say, Paul, in the comments? Oh, what kind of coffee do I, do I like? It's French press coffee. <laughs> all right. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for following all this. Stay safe, prepare, and, you know, just watch it out there. Stay safe, my friends. Thank you very much.